Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Shalom. Benton's wearing a hoodie with ears on it. And it's horns. I don't have so time. much dog oh, hair. I'm the crackhead. <laughs> yeah, girl. Thank, am I little? Thanks for saying I'm little. Yeah, a little crackhead. I'll I've give never me a compliment. Crack. Oh, well, it's a step up from the hat you were wearing earlier. Not really. This hat looks like your skin. Why does that hat say, thank you, porcelain and beautiful? Yeah, so many compliments. And it says cannabis on it? I know. What is it? Why does it say cannabis? Because it's from a cannabis store. This is very out of character. Today was your moving day. I've worn this hat so many times around you. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. This is like when you ask me every time if, if my glasses are real. <laughs> <laughs> they do look like a Harry Potter costume. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Listen, <laughs> Willy Wonka, let's go. <laughs> I'm not Willy Wonka. I, by you're the right, way, you're an Oompa this brings me. This brings me to some of the videos you shot of me in uh, Milwaukee last week, where I looked oh. like a who. <laughs> I, I love when you do your hair like that. I love it's that. It's not doing my hair. It's waking up. I'm not, and you don't tell me that it looks crazy. And then you're just sabotaging me. And then you're like, how come you don't have beauty campaigns? I'm like, because you don't tell me. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was crazy. I got you to have beauty campaigns. It's I, so funny. I look like a who from I was wondering Like a would, cracked out who. Like I not look, even a good yes, who. Yes, it's like a nightmare. You look like a, I like huh? that. You're ruining my career. <laughs> It was fun no, for everyone involved. It's not. It's me backlit. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You look like you look like a nope. <laughs> <laughs> I look like Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> yeah, but we'll the video. Good. Yeah, I just look insane, and I'm asking. It's a. It's an, It was an ad for a. It was one of our sponsors sleep, for Sleep Crown, and I'm. I'm. It I'm, looked like a turd on your head. I'm trying to make people take oh. me seriously. Well, to be fair. <laughs> One of us did pitch waiting to do the ad, and you said, let's just do it now. Let's just do but it But you right could have been like, hey, do you want to maybe run a brush through that fucking steel wool nightmare? I gave my I gave Carrot my two top? cents, and you said, I don't want that change. No, you didn't. I said, let's wait and do this later. But that's not a specific, like, hey, just can you redo your hair? I bet you learn to trust me next time, won't you? No, I look like Phil Spector. <laughs> Yeah, I stand to wait. But that you didn't I say, why. say, hey, let's wait. You look insane. You say that There's a, a lot. There's a nice way to say it. I would it. never say that. You do say it when we're not rolling all the time. I would just be like, looking cute, looking real. I guess gorgeous. you just accept me for who I am, and I just I need really to. Who you are. For who I am. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go to a psychiatrist named Dr. Seuss. Um, as far as I'm concerned, today. Speaking of serious. Oh. Influential people that are respected by millions. <laughs> uh, Robert Green is the interview today. This is the second time on the podcast. His first interview was a mind-bedding thrill ride. Mm-hmm. Huge. People loved it. He has a new book out called The Daily Laws. You know that he wrote uh, The 48 Laws of Power. He wrote my favorite book on the planet, Mastery, The Art of Seduction, uh, The Art of War, The 50th Law, which I think 50 Cent is making into a movie or a TV oh. show or something. Yeah, it's like every... Anything with 50 in it. 50 anything cents. with 50. He's like, that's on brand. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, mine. that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's me. <laughs> I was trying to think of more things that were 50. Victoria Pedretti's little brother that died and you. His name's 50. 
Oh. No, it's 40. Damn it. Damn it. Damn See, not it. on brand. God damn it. Uh, and uh, uh, The Laws of Human Nature, these books all changed my life. They're how I learned to uh, accept human nature unconditionally and be a leader and think critically and uh, lean into um, what power really means and uh, a lot of time in what seduction really means and how to stop being annoying and grading and to t- that's one of the art of seduction laws is talk don't talk as loud so people have to lean into you so you didn't read the book because <laughs> I read it and the art of seduction Benton's rubbing nipple their nipples you don't know if I have nipples there or not I truly at this point don't know where anything on your body is <laughs> that's true. so this intro's made you dumber. So now, <laughs> if you listen to this interview, it will get your brain cells back in working order. Uh, I am obsessed with Robert Greene. He's one of the few people that I will not be able to interrupt, no matter how bad my Tourette's gets and how much my ADD tries to take over um, and make me. Uh, inter- he's. I just love him. He's my. He's big daddy energy. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few men that I listen to <laughs> or like want to listen to or like don't disassociate when they're talking Mm -hmm. you know he's one of the few men that if they tripped and fall if he tripped and fell in front of me I would think it was hot oh that's a very high that's high praise from you that's very high praise from you many men that I've been in love with have tripped and fall and that was it that's it it was over once I see any kind of weakness I can't my like primordial brain just you're out you checked out it's such a bummer and I have no control over it but he I could see him trip and fall and I'd be like I just love you more yeah good good idea be vulnerable in front of people to get more power genius twisted brain of yours Uh, I'm bringing this twisted brain of mine (laughs) to Boise, Idaho (laughs) to twist it up even more last time I was in Boise the venue that I was booked in caught on fire and I ended up doing a drag club instead which was honestly really fun um, but I'm going to be at the Egyptian theater this time, and I think that— Is that where we keep your sarcophagus? <laughs> is that what your we tomb is? We love sarcophagus joke. That's where I sleep. <laughs> That's where my tombs are. <laughs> well, my favorite song is Still Walk Like an Egyptian, but I feel like it got canceled. Bummer. Uh, there's limited tickets also. Uh, Seattle, 12-4. I'm going to be there. Neptune Theater. Sold out for a show. There's now limited tickets because here's the thing is that these these shows have been rescheduled so many times and it's been like a year and a half that a lot of the people that bought tickets no longer even live in that city. So there's tickets that become available. There's people that are like, hey, I bought these tickets like two years ago and now like when I was for like a bachelorette party and now I have two children and right, can't right. come. Like there's yeah. now. Well, some people are dead. People are like, I live in Minneapolis. <laughs> I died of COVID. Dead. Like I can't be there. <laughs> I died of COVID. I can't be there. I can't be there. Like there's plenty of people who. I hate when I get that message to my Ouija board. Hey, I can't be <laughs> oh, thank there. God. Okay. I've passed over. Okay. Can we resell those tickets? And so uh, Jenna Friedman will be joining us, Ooh. who is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, in addition to a one Benton Ray, on uh, December 9th, I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio at the Joanne Davidson Theater. <laughs> Can't sell a ticket to save my life. Because <laughs> you keep making fun of Joanne. Columbus. I, I am a Joanne Stan. Joe Stan my Davidson. My favorite fabric. Is she <laughs> Pete Davidson's aunt. No one, like, I just, I, Columbus is just not, I don't know if you just don't listen to podcasts. I don't know how to get to you. Maybe we should run an ad in the paper 
in the parade magazine, the back, the back. Maybe, <laughs> the maybe back we should we should sell her on a ship and just claim the land. I don't know how to like Columbus. I have people. That, I just don't think you guys either listen to podcasts or you fast forward through this first part. In which case, you're just smarter than than anyone else. So Joanne Davidson Theater. Then I'm going to be in Cleveland, twelve ten December tenth, Agora Theater. If you're agoraphobic. Tricky title for a theater. <laughs> you won't. You won't be there. <laughs> the agoraphobia theater. Uh, there's limited tickets. You do like me in Cleveland. Uh, uh, Twelve, eleven. I'm coming to Chicago. My favorite, favorite, favorite thing on the planet is Chicago, where I'm doing a smaller venue because I, I wanted to shoot a special at the Vic Theater because I did something at Just for Laughs there one year, and I was like, it was maybe my favorite venue I'd ever performed in. So I really want to come back here. I'll do Chicago theater next year, but instead we're going to do two shows on. Uh, December 11th, Chicago, Vic Theater. First show sold out, but show up anyway. I'm sure there'll be some mm-hmm. spots. Um, and the second show has limited tickets. Chicago, I love you. I cannot wait to come there. And uh, and then uh, I'm going to shut my whore mouth mm-hmm. so that you can listen to one of the greatest uh, philosophers and historians and the greatest minds of our time, Robert Greene. And he doesn't just go on people's podcasts willy-nilly. He does not. He really doesn't. We were shocked he came back. I, it is, no one knows what's going on. <laughs> no one knows why he keeps doing our podcast. But Maybe he's researching something. You know that, I feel like he's re, his next book is on like insecure narcissists. And <laughs> the 48 laws of insecure narcissists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Times three, he yeah. read three of them. The 48 laws 50 of. examples of how not to be. <laughs> the 48 laws of powerless. And I. Uh, and I have in my office, I have a whole section of just Robert Green books that are mm. that are touched, underlined, down yeah, to they're the They're not sp- like Great Gatsby books. Those spines are correct. Down to the spine. Those spines look like my face without makeup on. <laughs> the crow's feet are deep. Uh, I love you. Enjoy Robert Green, please. Last time, yeah. last time Robert Green was here, I, I unraveled. No, you didn't. You raveled. I, <laughs> I unraveled. No, I think the opposite. I broke apart and I had to put myself to, back together again. Well. So I want, I wrote, okay, you know what? I have so many questions written down. I just don't want this to be. Too logical to, you want to just kind of. You know flow. me. You know me. Yeah. Because we're real friends now. I hope so. And we were just downstairs, and you gravitated towards a book about Nazis. Yes, I did. Let's talk about them. Well, I'm Jewish, and... Um, congrats. Thank you. I don't, there's no congrats for that. Um, and, you know, a lot of my family, particularly on my father's side, um, probably perished in the Holocaust. And when I was a kid... You know, it was like I was sort of obsessed with World War II Mm -hmm. and with German uniforms and German army men. I don't know why I found the gray and the helmets so interesting. And then on the street where I grew up, it was like a canyon. And we and the boys, we had a game. The game was called Gestapo. And in this game, one person would be like somebody who had escaped from prison and there, I'm sorry, there would be two people who had escaped from prison, but they were on either sides of the canyon. And the object of the game was to find each other. And we had walkie-talkies. And the Gestapo were the other four guys on the neighborhood. And they had, like, dogs. 
Like my one friend, Greg, who I'm still friends with, he had like a bloodhound, and they'd be searching for us. It was the most nerve-wracking, frightening game you could imagine, mm. you know? But anyway... Um, that could not be a uh, live-action show today. <laughs> no, it's, it's a TV show. totally politically like, I incorrect. I pitch that. No, don't. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I just, I just find the, the pageantry in a sick way of like the great rallies and stuff with mm-hmm. all the colors and the flags and the pennants and everybody singing all in unison yeah. to be like overwhelming. It's so weird. What does overwhelming mean? Overwhelming in a good way? I think in, in a kind of a horrif- horrifying way. But it, it kind of attracts me and repels me at the same time. And what is that? Is that called repugnant? Is that called uh, mystique? Is that like like a... When you want to want something, you, you're grossed out by it, but you want to be near it. I don't know what my fascination. fascination is. It's something, as I said, you know, like as a boy, I loved war. I have to admit it. I can't disguise that fact. But don't and I wrote all, a book on war. Yeah, I know, basically. Don't all, aren't we at war all the time now, every day, essentially? Isn't that what traffic is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we at war? We're yeah. wired to be at war. All the time. Yes, exactly. And Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally and otherwise. But isn't that, don't we recreate, like, that primordial instinct to be at war in other ways now? Whether it's like, I'm on the phone with my agent, or I'm mad at my boyfriend. Are we always kind of still fighting? Yeah, well, that's that was the subject of my third book, this 33 Strategies of War, where I saw warfare embedded in almost all aspects of our daily life. Like, if you have a, a boyfriend or a spouse that you don't get along with and you fighting all the time, it is a form of battle and conflict, right? And sometimes one person is more strategic than the other, and they usually kind of win those battles kind of thing. It's not a very healthy way of looking at human relationships, but it's also very true and very real. It's so interesting. Like, you know, we've talked about this maybe before, but my um, therapist says, like, we don't say healthy, we say helpful, because to say that's not healthy, that's pathologizing it. It's like, but to say that's not helpful is surrendering to our nature. It's like, it's not healthy to do this. Well, humans aren't healthy. We're not wired to... I completely agree. It's we're just, not just wired to, to do things that are necessarily moral. We're wired to do things that are beneficial. You yeah. know, so healthy has a judgment on it. Yeah. You know, that's like implies that we have some kind of choice in the matter when a lot of it is our human nature. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, that's... You know, it's precisely what I think and what I write about. So I hate watching people interview you because they always ask why? stupid questions. Oh, please tell me why. <laughs> because it's like I like, can. Can you give me an example? Which one did you see? No, I cannot. I'll get in trouble. But I just don't. I don't like when people are like. So tell me, like, how do you seduce someone? Or like, tell oh, me. Oh God, I got it. It's just like read the book. So. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that you are, have not been asked because if you're watching this, it means you're, you've read the books, you're in a, a wormhole, you're going down the rabbit hole on YouTube of all your interviews, you're trying to start your company, you're getting out of a breakup, you're in a relationship, you're going through a divorce, you're going to college, something is going on in your life where you want to take your power back, you know, where you want to take control of your life and you are the um, singular authority and inspiration in terms of how to do that. Um, you're uniquely qualified uh, to give those insights. My question, I, I kind of want to start with, like, did you see this Travis Scott is this big rapper? Yeah. I've read about it. And 
they there was a surge of people that surged toward the concert. They perished. Eight people died. Oh, and then it made me remember. Remember Pearl Jam in the '90s had a similar situation in Germany. I think eleven people died in the Pearl Jam surge. I don't remember that now. Um, like, what do you? What does Robert Greene think when he sees that headline? Knowing oh. how much you know about human nature and well, it's actually something. Oh, don't move, Ramona. Um, <laughs> she's lying on my foot. Sorry, uh, Robert and uh, my dog Ramona have a very intense relationship. Very intense, and it comes before this podcast. Yes, <laughs> and um, I know that. Um, well, it's actually something I'm writing a little bit about in my new book on the sublime. I just wrote a chapter on that. And um, it's, I talk about paganism and ancient religions and um, how paganism is still very much alive in the modern world, only we just don't realize it. And so one of the manifestations of this kind of paganism that still exists in our world is people, things like raves and concerts like this one. And even those kind of rallies I was talking about, the Nazis, I'm not comparing at all a concert with the Nazis, don't get me wrong. But the sense of being in a group and a collective and having all of that energy and everybody kind of feeling the same thing. Dopamine and, and the oxytocin. Oh, incredible amounts of chemicals are in operation. In fact, people are taking drugs. You're on drugs already. In your... And then you're taking drugs. Yeah. It's an intense human need. We, uh, we, we kind of want that feeling, that feeling of transcendence, of being deeply enmeshed in a group. And I say, I say in the chapter that I just wrote that no one's read yet and won't read for a few years, is that it's kind of the, the pagan aspect of our world today is the opposite of everything that it really, of all our true progressive values. So we have a value being unique, being an individual, having your own identity. But secretly, people kind of want to lose themselves in a crowd. They kind of feel like they're in that kind of collective. There's sort of one consciousness. They want to get away from all this individuality, mm. and they want to kind of sink themselves in the crowd. Now, is that healthy? Or, I'm sorry, helpful? <laughs> I, caught, I caught myself. <laughs> or not? I, I'm not going to say because I don't like judging things. I'm just <laughs> saying that's what I think is going on in the world. And so there's something very primal that draws people into these kind of concerts and things and it, and kind of going berserk, you know. Do you think the pandemic uh, had any effect on it in terms of like the, the because at first I was like, oh yeah, people have been cooped up in their house. It was kind of like a, you know, like a, a um, what's the thing where you pull it back and the tension, what is it? When you pull back, pull, pull, pull. Like pull, a puppet pull. string or something? What? No, you pull and then you like, oh. A, oh like a bow and a arrow? Bow, yeah, like just there was so much tension of people staying I, inside yeah. for so long that they were like, we're going to a concert. Like, I was looking for all these other things, like modern things to blame, but this is a very primordial thing, and it's happened over and over and over again. It happened in the 90s at Pearl Jam. Um, uh, 11 people died at a Pearl Jam concert in uh, Germany before, and there was no pandemic tension. Well, you know, we're a social animal, um, and uh, when you're cooped up for... I don't know how long, how many months we were cooped up for, and you don't have any interaction with people. I think there's been a lot of a mental illness that has been kind of creeping into a lot of people mm. um, because we depend so much on being around other people for feeling like we're human, for feeling like we're alive. And being in a crowd, 
There, there was um, a great sociologist, I want to get too academic here on you, in the 19th century, sort of the founder of, soci of sociology, Durkheim, and he said these, the, the idea of God, the feeling of God or spirits or gods came from actually being in a group situation. And in a group, you feel a different energy, right? If you're in a group of 100 people at a concert or... or like you're flying. Yeah, you don't feel the same as when you're alone. It's mm -hmm. a different, you become a different person, right? You're an entity. And he thought that like. that energy that kind of comes from the group is what we then transformed into a god. It's very, it's very controversial idea. Is it? Why? I don't know. I find it very valid, but some people think that it kind of diminishes the idea of the spiritual realm and makes it too kind of human or whatever, um, mm -hmm. as if there isn't such a real thing as gods. But... Anyway, the, the, uh, the sense of being in a group, we become a different person, right? So where you're in that group seeing Travis Scott on that stage and there's 50,000 people, you've probably been taking drugs and you're all packed together like that. There's, all, you know, there's, at some point for me it would be horrifying because I'm claustrophobic. But, um, you know, you feel you're like connected with everyone else. You're like supercharged. You're like more than human. And you have the adrenaline response and... When you have so much adrenaline, you feel less pain, so your body might not even be telling you how much damage is being done to it, you know? So it's like even if, because I guess some people got like physically crushed, like, but you, you know, I remember when I had my ear bitten off, um, it didn't hurt because uh, all of this. This was a dog, by the way. It a dog, by the way. It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't it a was former not boyfriend. It was not a man. It wasn't Mike Tyson. I know you guys got jealous for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it was not Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, the, all the oxytocin and norepinephrine and phenylethylamine floods the area. What was that? Phenyl, you know what's so funny? I made a movie about neuroscience and I had to, I was talking about this with Benton this weekend. Phenylethylamine. What a word. Emily, do you remember? Phenylethylamine. I can't say that. I do have somewhat of a speech impair, uh, impairment or impediment. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go on with your story. It, no, I'm interrupting my your interruption to go phenylethylamine. You say it. Phenylethylamine. That's how it's it when you say it, even if you say it right, you sound like you have a speech impediment. Phenylethylamine. Say Phen it, M? Phenylethylamine. See, you sound drunk. I am. <laughs> phenylethylamine. Phenylethylamine. You can't you say You sound it. like um putty tap. Putty tap. Yeah, exactly. Can I get my pocket protector, please? <laughs> yes. Like it phenylethylamine. <laughs> Okay. Phenylethylamine. I think you're adding an L. No, phenyl. Phenethylamine. Oh. Thank you. That didn't sound right. <laughs> okay, so this means I pronounced it wrong in the movie. Well, somebody would have caught that if you did. No, the I think director I would have caught. I think I was supposed to catch it. <laughs> That's it was Emily's job. That's my bad. On the movie. Well, it's. A, it, I directed it. It was a, my job to catch it. You directed it. Yeah, I directed it, and I was in it. Phenylethyl. Wait. Phenethylamine. Shit! Okay, so I definitely pronounced it wrong in the movie. Well, well I was comedy, maybe. You know, this is a big way that I came to you. Okay. Because, so, because I get such bad migraines, I can't, uh, uh, I get speech impediment when I have a migraine coming on. Like, I start yeah. slurring. Yeah. Which is how I led me to learn about neurology. And then, so when both my parents had strokes, I already had a little bit of information. Both your parents had strokes? Both of them, the I same year. I forgot about that. Yeah, both of them the same year. I'm following in the footsteps of your parents. <laughs> and I'm following the footsteps of your parents. Remember last time you were here, you told me I looked like your mom. And I was like, uh-oh, let's wrap this up. 
Um, She's going to be watching this, by the way. <laughs> okay. Hi. Hi, me. Hi, me. Like looking in a mirror. Um, and, uh, okay, we're all over the place. But let me ask you a question. So, yeah. so you are the authority on all things power. Like, as someone that, you know, look, I, you know, your books are, I always say, imprinted in my DNA, you know. I love it. When I'm giving you the biggest compliment in your life, you're just like, hi, little doggy doggy. Um, yes, I'm sorry. You're <laughs> I'm going to focus now for real. I'm really sorry about this. It's no, my it's fault. But you put that dog there. I don't, can't help it. I don't. This is sorry. what a podcast. Okay. It doesn't have to. This is what we do. I'm going to focus. Um, and we'll do many, many more, um, I hope. And uh, I, I struggle with which question to ask how soon with you but you said I'm the expert on power as the expert on power and like as someone that is the authority on how people rose to power how people attain power maintain power art of seduction laws of power is now an interest like what is your definition of power I was thinking about this last night I was like what is my definition of power because I was thinking about it I was like I think power is when you can lay down and sleep whenever you're tired (laughs) whoa that's power. If you can take a nap whenever you want. Well, I guess I have a lot of power. <laughs> You're either unemployed or super powerful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know about that. Because I yeah. was like thinking about it last night. I was like, what does power mean? Because power is like, you know, and Emily and I were talking about this earlier and in relationships, like when we give our power away and give our tear our power back and stuff like that, I was just like, what does it even mean anymore? Because a lot of having power, especially in your new book, is relinquishing it a little bit and letting other people think that they have it when they don't. Sometimes that's that's definitely an aspect of it. You know, um, so to go back to kind of the 48 laws theory that kind of inspired the book, we humans have an innate desire for power for expansion, for feeling like, what are you looking for? I'm looking for, I love that you just called me out. I'm looking for my copy of this. This is your copy. This is my copy. Okay. Um, it's all marked up and okay, has all okay, my okay. stuff on it. So um, we have an innate desire for a feeling of control over our environment. Correct. So that we can kind of feel like we can expand, that we have freedom to move, and we have, you know, m- maneuverability, that we have some degree of influence over the people around us. That our children, our spouse, our boss, our colleagues will listen to us. Sorry, Ooh, Mona has all the power right now. Oh, she's completely. sneezing. Well, she's the, she's a great she's... seductress. <laughs> that was a really wet one. <laughs> Mona is sneezing while the king is talking. <laughs> that is a power move. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> to show um, a little vulnerability. Exactly. So. Um, you know, but th- the problem is, so it's a very primal need that we humans have, right? And it goes back to hundreds of thousands of years ago. Because essentially, we're kind of weak um, creatures yeah. compared to like a lion, a leopard, a dog. We're trash we- bags full of blood. Huh? I, call, yeah. I say we're trash bags full of blood. Oh, thank you. That's very well put. It's basically what we are. We're- right. And if you look at us as infants, no other um, animal has infants that are so helpless for so long. Right? So we carry a great deal of... They have of a hole in their head. They're born with a hole in their head and they can't even put their head up. I didn't know that. Wow, Babies I, have a hole on the top of their head. What I learned when I come here. <laughs> you know that. No. You do know that. It's a soft spot. It's, it's a, just where their skull hasn't grown. It's not a hole. It's just where their okay, skull hasn't grown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting yeah, me scared. 
I was trying to feel that maybe I still have a hole. <laughs> but um, it, anyway. but it is. Um, um, I took this uh, uh, attachment strategy, attachment strategy course yeah. with George Haas, and uh, they say um, the chimpanzee studies because we're basically you know bonobo apes and yeah. us have more similar DNA than African elephants and Indian elephants. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. So, uh, bonobo apes, they're Babies, when left in the wild, the amount of time they can survive alone in the wild without their parents, one day. Yeah. One day. Right. So because of our physical vulnerabilities, we have a tremendous desire for some kind of power or control because we're essentially very weak Mm -hmm. physically. Okay. But then you come into the modern world. And I would say modern, like five, six hundred years ago, where to be kind of brutal and want to get your power directly and pushing people around is very counterproductive. You're going to make everybody hate you. And so when you enter the realm of democracy, where you've got millions of people in a country that are all striving for some kind of power, you have to be very careful and you have to be very indirect. Right. I compare it to the courts of Europe, like in Louis XIV's court, where you, had, you wanted to get closer to the king and get the king to recognize you. But if you tried too hard to signal to the king and get his approval, all the other courtiers hated you and they would stab you in the back. Because they are repelled by needy energy? Yes. And, well, mostly— You're a be- kiss-ass, you're a try-hard? Yeah, well, the king is repelled by it. But everyone else is vying for the same attention. If you're trying too hard, it signals weakness, like you were saying. Yeah. Signals weakness. Because, yeah, what is it? Like when you want something too much, the thing you want doesn't want you back. It's like the, what's the biological basis for that? Like if you want me, I don't want you back. Yeah. That the, game. The, the French have an expression. I never, I'm going to bungle it. Something about. One person kisses the ch- I can't remember. I'm not even going to try. Whatever you it's, chase, you chase away. Yeah, right. Definitely. Well, you know, that goes back. Now we're getting into the art of seduction. Do you mm-hmm. want me to segue into that? No. I didn't finish with my power thing. No. How dare you interrupt yourself or let me interrupt you? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we have to learn to be indirect, right? We have to learn, as, as children, we learn that if we try too hard to get our parents' attention or get them to bias this thing or whatever— you know, we'll be punished for it. We won't get what we want. So we learn all of these kind of clever games and all these little manipulations that all of us play. I include all of us in that. So in the world today, with with social media, with all the insane sensitivity people have to any kind of just the whiff of unfairness, right, makes people go ballistic. You have to be especially careful with your kind of plays for power in this world, Mm. right? You have to be very delicate and very seductive. I can't remember what your original question is because we've gotten so sidetracked. But how can you be seductive? Because so much of your... I need um, to write notes down. Here, we'll take. (laughs) Um, uh, Here's a pen from the Madonna Inn, my favorite hotel. Oh, yes. Which room were you in? Um, Well, I was in the nautical room this time. I wanted to be in the horse room. Oh, you should try the leprechaun room. Have you leprechaun been? room? That's my favorite. I don't know. Emily, we went and Emily got very drunk and oh. and <laughs> and decided that someone said something homophobic and she let, her, let him have it. Oh. And I love that about her. Yeah. She's not sm- in front of the good guests. 
<laughs> she stood up for what she believed in. I appreciate the respectable cats. Please. I love well, the good I lo- for you. Thank you. Um, Madonna in power rewind to seduction. How do you stay like, you know, because look, as someone that has studied the art of seduction and read it backwards forwards, understands it, the game of being present and absent in creating this tension yeah. and playing peak based on peekaboo. Yes. Yeah. With social media, you can't control how much they see you. There's an algorithm. You don't know when they're going to check their phone. You you can't control how exposed you are. You can be overexposed by accident because they go to your page and then they, they, they overdose on you. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if I completely agree with you this one time. What? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Whoa. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I was. So <laughs> you know, um, do you know the, the rapper Saweetie? I do. Yeah, so I was on Seth. her show and we were talking about this very issue because she has that problem. She says, Robert, I read The Art of Seduction, but how do I create mystery? Because it's all about being yeah. in people's faces. Yeah. And I say, you have to be able to pull back. You have to be able to sometimes be absent and make and tease people mm-hmm. with an idea and say, or disappear for a week. Beyonce and get, does it very well. Yes, exactly. You know, Michael Jackson was kind of um, was as well. He disappeared very. Yes, but he, he <laughs> hard. Yeah, but he also knew how to do that with his music as well. He would he would space it. He wouldn't appear. He would he would space like several years between his concerts. He would create a lot of mystery, mystery around yeah. him. It's harder in the era of social media, but it's still it's an art, and you have you can easily you know master this. Because they can access you when they want to. Yeah, but you could if you're not accessible, if you don't post something, or if you create something that teases them that doesn't say exactly where you are or what you're doing, mm-hmm. you create some mystery, you create some ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So. There's still, you know, maybe the art of seduction needs to be rewritten for the media age, but there's still ways to tease people. There's still ways to create that bit of mystery and to create absence. It's not going to be literally absence. It's not going to be like, there's no picture of Whitney on my Instagram account. (laughs) No, but you're going to do something that like goes, what is Whitney up to? I'm not really sure what she's doing I keep going back. It's the same photo. She has it up, you know, the same she hasn't uploaded a new thing, or what? Yeah. Donald Glover, Childish Gambino does this very well. Beyonce okay. does this very okay, well. Okay, well there you go. So you yeah. answered my question. Thank you. You're I, honestly. <laughs> well, you, I, I feel like you, you trained me. You, uh, my brain is product. You're my mother. My. <laughs> a nightmare. Um. So, oh God, I have so much to talk to you about. Theranos. What? Theranos. Oh, Katie, whatever her name is. Um, Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. Huh? Elizabeth. Elizabeth Elizabeth. Holmes. (laughs) Can we talk about her for a second? (laughs) Did I say that? She managed to. Did she read all your books? Do you think? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Interesting. How did Elizabeth Holmes do this? Okay. She managed to con these people. Do you believe... Gun to your head. Well, I mean, I would put my head between. Um, that she was lying to herself and thought it was all going to happen. And she was like, if there's a will, there's a way. I'm manifesting. Like, Because I've well, done that. I've done fake it till you make it. Well, we and all it do that. And it works sometimes. Yeah. You know? It's kind of a bit like Bernie Madoff in a way. Mm-hmm. Did he actually 
believe that he was going to get away with it? Didn't he know that it was all well, going to collapse at some or point? Or did he not know the internet was on the way? Because if Bernie Madoff was like 20 years earlier, he probably could have pulled it off. I don't know about that. If people Maybe. couldn't corrobor- corroborate like with email and, and stuff. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about, enough about that. But, um, you know, self-deception is a very powerful thing. And I mm. think uh, that people who are really good liars, and there are lots of people who are really good liars, and I'm very fascinated by them. Me too. Are also very good at lying to themselves. Mm. Because and I've experienced it myself when I've lied. Believe me, I have lied to myself. I do. Um, okay. When you feel like you're not really quite sure whether you're lying, you actually believe the story that you've created about yourself, mm-hmm. you do it with so much more conviction. So to be able for Elizabeth Holmes to, to con so many people and so many very powerful people, she had to believe some of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have come. people wouldn't have been convinced. She had to carry it with enough conviction that I'm sure to some extent she was deceiving herself. Mm-hmm. And probably she was thinking, I don't know, she was thinking somewhere along the way I'm going to make this real. It's going to become substantial. But in the beginning I need to fake it. I need to kind of con people. Here's the thing. This is fascinating because she also, I'm obsessed with the wisdom you can only that only comes with age that you can only glean with age. I've ju- I just had this epiphany like this year where I'm like, there is no way I could have understood that on a cellular level unless I was this old, right? Like I've, you know, I've just had some tension in relationships because of an age gap. And my thing is I don't want to be ageist. I believe that someone who's 20 can know more than me. I believe someone that's 80 knows more than me. But, you know, what wisdom can be taught and what can't. Like, there's certain things that come with experience and certain things, you know when someone's in a toxic relationship and you see it, you know what it is. You're like, that's love addiction, that's toxic. She's a codependent, he's a malignant narcissist. He's a codependent, she's a malignant narcissist. He's recreating her childhood circumstances. She's, that's his mom. You know exactly what it is. You can diagnose it. You see it. I know exactly how this started. I know how it's going to end. It's amazing sex. It's oxytocin. Phenylethylamine, whatever it's pronounced, da 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 da. But you can't say anything. There's nothing. They have to walk through it themselves. They have to walk through it. And no one's ever walked up to someone and been like, "Hey, you're in a toxic relationship. Like, I'm telling you, this isn't gonna end." They're they're just gonna push you away because they're in an active addiction. Right. So, like, what are the things? Because I have done so much work. I'm 39, I've read all these books, I've been in Al-Anon. Like, what are the things that are like, you know what? You might not even be able to implement this yet, or how do we implement it before we're ready? How do we, like, skip the step of experience? How do we skip the step of time? Well, you can't really skip it, but what you can do... Do you have a time machine? Do I have a time machine? Is what I'm asking. (laughs) No, I don't. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's on my list. I'll try to make that my next <laughs> book. I don't have – I'm actually very interested in the notion of time and how we can skip around in time. I'm writing about that right now, but that's not really your question. Um, so, you know, experience teaches it, right? So I had my own weird thing myself where um, I write in, in The Laws of Human Nature, the last chapter is about how you deal with your mortality and the idea that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. 
And I wrote, I've thought about it very deeply and I wrote about it and I came up with ideas that I thought were interesting. And then three months later, I had my stroke and I you know, came this close to dying myself. And it wasn't the same thing, mm. writing about it in this sort of intellectual abstract way, feeling it and experiencing it is on a whole other level. But what I can say is, if you plant the seed in people's head with knowledge, because there are, most of us walk around kind of ignorant. We don't know anything. We're walking around blind. And I was that way when I was 21, 22, believe me. We don't really know what things. But if we've read something beforehand, like, you know, ideas in my book or other books, a seed is planted in the brain. And if you're somewhat a self-aware person, because some people aren't and some people are, when you have that experience, when you get in that toxic relationship, a little bell will start ringing and you'll be able to carve out this much distance from it. And that much distance is almost the critical, what's, what's so much important because now you'll be able to step back and go, maybe this isn't working. Maybe this is a pattern in my life. The moment you do that, you've created this much distance. And a few days later, you can make it larger and larger. So if you've read books or if you've gone to therapy and people have planted seeds in your brain, when the experience comes up, you now have a context, a framework for the trauma. Because a lot of times when traumas happen, there's no context. You don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. you don't, you've never experienced it before. What's going on here? But if you've read something beforehand, if someone's told you certain things about life and given you an idea about it, people with more experience... You know, because I read a lot of books when I was younger, and suddenly when I'm in the work world and I'm 23 and I'm making all of these stupid mistakes, the ideas from books come back to me later on, and they kind of help me deal with it. So I think that's the value. I can't create a time machine. I can't make you wise beyond your years. I can't give you that experience because experience is the most important thing because we're emotional animals, right? We're not rational thinking creatures. We're emotional. And when you're in, in that relationship, you know, that's, that's what's happening. You're not thinking about it at all. You have no distance. You have no detachment. But you can sort of learn the ability to detach yourself slowly, I think, by reading things, by creating some awareness in your brain. It's like, it's like that's so fast. It's, it's like um, hoarding information that you don't need right now. It's hoarding. It's like I, I just – I'm such a visual person. It's like getting all the stuff at the grocery store. Like I don't even need anchovies, but like, you might need them in 10 years. Like it, I know this book might not – I know you're not running a company right now. I know you're not in, running a – you know, for office right now, but you're going to put this in your brain. You're going to program it, and in 10 years, you're going to be like, oh, I just saved myself five years of learning the hard way. Yeah, and also I got to play that time game in mastery um, because – I'm really writing that book for what are you looking for? No, I was just looking. I was just because uh -huh. mastery is yeah here, because okay. this book is really kind of the. You've said this so many times. I don't want to make you say it again. You've sort of distilled everything kind of into one yeah. book. It's kind of like a fruit cake in a way. <laughs> it's, got, it's got everything in it. <laughs> and everyone should get it for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, so in mastery, I'm kind of playing this weird time game because the book is intended for people who are 22 who are just leaving college and are trying to figure out what they're supposed to do in life. But I'm enticing you and I'm planting the seed of 10 years down the road, this is what you're gonna, is gonna happen to you when your brain reaches a certain level and you've, you've made so many connections and you've learned so many things, you're gonna become immensely creative and then you're gonna become intuitive with your knowledge. And I'm kind of 
teasing you, saying, if you stick with this long enough, that knowledge will then burst into creativity, into this kind of mastery of the subject. And so I'm kind of luring you into the future. And then 10 years later, when you have reached that point, you will remember what I wrote about in the book. Oh, my God. I'm looking at all my questions. Yeah. They're so stupid. Can a German ever be in power again? <laughs> Is that really your question? <laughs> well, no. I, yeah, was, I mean, that's a good I, question. This was just me, like, on the plane, just be like... Bruh. Is it German? Well, no, because I was thinking, like... You I know, like that question. Because how much of, of you know, the the... How much, you know, I'm obsessed with the ancestral trauma and the way we have to account for history and what we do now. And, like, you know, this is going to be controversial. That's my brand. But when who, you know, when you were talking about um, sort of, like, individualism, you know, singular versus the community or, or wanting to be individual versus the mass. Like, it made me think about the cultural differences just when I'm touring between, like, America, Scandinavia, and then Asia. Oh, wow, that's interesting, yeah. Where it's, like, in Scandinavia, I went, and there's the, the idea of a hierarchy is, is looked down upon. Oh, completely. The boss dresses the same as the— They don't in, even have first class in their airplanes. They don't—the idea of a class system oh, is very looked down upon. You don't—you walk into an office, you don't know who the boss is, whereas you walk you walk into an office in America, and you, you can—whoever has the biggest office— the nicest shoes, the nicest car, like that must be the alpha. That must be the person in charge. And then in Asia, um, assimilating and being similar, we all have the same Gucci shoes. We all have the same, you know, Fendi bag. Like that is valued. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, I was just sort of thinking like that I should have written this question out more clearly is what I was <laughs> definitely thinking. Um, but I was wondering, is there any area of the world that's more predisposed to be for uh, that's uh, right now because it's probably going to be based on when in time you know because I'm sure I'm sure certain areas get more fashionable and it, it comes in waves and the vicissitudes of like now Russia gets to you know come back into being in charge and uh, the, like it's not being Russian right now it's like a little bit like we see you we don't trust you is there anything ancestral about power that benefits you does anyone have a head start well um i don't know if i'm that smart to be able to answer that question because it's a pretty complicated one but i would say that italians so italy is the land of machiavelli right mm. machiavelli mm. is the great writer of the prince wrote about power kind of my patron saint in a way silvio berlusconi yes so I've dealt with Italians since then, and I went on a, an incredible book tour soon after the 48 Laws of Power came out. And I worked there briefly in the mid-90s. It is still a very Machiavellian place, right? And when I wrote the 48 Laws of Power, they instantly got it. They were so excited about it because it's in their blood. Mm. There's something very deeply Machiavellian about the culture, and I don't mean anything negative about it because I don't think there's anything negative about the word Machiavellian. But it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And so I also think there are cultures that have that in them. There are cultures in the Middle East that are very Machiavellian. I can tell by the way certain places react to my book. So the Ooh. Scandinavians, they're not into the no, 48 laws no, of power. No, 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 no. Right? It's tacky. 
It's the rude. French kind of are, but not. They're sort of a little bit. They don't like Americans. They're kind of into it. The Germans, they're too frightened of it because there's Macht. Because that's we we already had someone manipulate everybody for untoward reasons. But the Russians, they love it. They're fascinated by it. Certain Arab shameless. Certain Arab countries, they love it. They're fascinated by it. You know, I did some consulting work in the Middle East, and the political situation there is totally is like a page pages out of the Forty Eight Laws of Power. You know, they're they're playing intense 3D chess power games there. So there are cultures where that kind of sense of power and the kind of the primal game of power in its brute sense is very much a part of their culture. America's different. America's, we've got a Puritan or um, ancestry. Mm. We're kind of, you know, Gore Vidal had a great quote. We're the most powerful country in the world, but we want to believe that our politicians are all motivated by morality. Mm. We don't want to think of ourselves as a power-hungry cult- country, even though we are so immensely powerful. So we're kind of two-faced mm. about it, a bit hypocritical. So to answer your question, yeah. if I am, because I'm rambling now myself. How dare you? Is Your rambles are more coherent than most people's <laughs> written speeches. Is that there is a cultural element to this. I, I truly believe a, cu- a culture has a certain relationship to power, a comfort with it, an excitement in it, or a kind of a fear or a kind of a, a, a repulsion for, towards it or whatever. And so, you know, and these things go back hundreds of years. And, of course, they evolve, they change. So the Germans who the Germans of the 1930s aren't the Germans of, uh, who are now. You know, mm-hmm. Is there something about the Ger- sorry to um, get into stereotypes here, but German, w- with what happened in Germany, the history of Germany, there is a very specific sexual Uh-oh. scene in Germany. Is there? The, you the, know more about this than I do. Maybe I don't know anything, or maybe it's just more like, you know, the same way people are like, aren't all comedians, like, crazy mentally ill? It's like, mm, I just, we're the ones that advertise it the most, so you're going to think that more of us do, but we're just the, you know, the, your local UPS driver is probably not like, I'm bipolar, you know, right. it's, so right. um, maybe Germans just, it's, there's less shame involved, but there's like a big S&M sex dom club scene. Yeah, a lot of like power wow. stuff. I was just... Curious if that was a thing. I don't have any first-hand experience. I was curious if you have a phone number to it. <laughs> no, but when you talk, but it about makes sense. It's that a lot of their movies have to deal with that. There's, there is a kind of so like shame and being degraded and being humiliated, and I'm just so, and that's obviously goes sexual sometimes. But there's something fascinating about why is this piece of land in the middle of this other land so different than the other lands with a fence around it, all of a sudden people want to be degraded in that exact spot or wear leather and gags and fish hooks. And, yeah, it's just wild to me. Well, there's a bit of a generalization. I don't know how widespread it is, but you know more than I, obviously. You've... I do. I'm <laughs> yeah. training to be a dominatrix. I'm just feeling out. Just putting feelers out to see if there's any, any bites, see if I'm getting any bites. But, but there, is a, there is a weird relationship to power, and there is something very kind of sexual an, a sexual undercurrent to the whole notion of power. Mm. And our our desires, our sexual desires are intermixed with desires for power as well. But I just was like trying to make some connection because, you know, comedians, we don't, we're not historians, we're not geniuses like you and, and brilliant writers, but we try to make stupid connections that every now and then 
um, like like closing your eyes and throwing a dart of like, you know, Germany, like there's all this sexual degradation there of like your pieces, you know. You just lost your whole German audience. And then, <laughs> but it's a big thing. There's an Instagram feed that is only people in Germany walking, guys walking other guys on leashes in grocery stores as dogs. They walk they walk them through stores to humi- publicly humiliate them. And I'm like, oh, is this like some weird thing with the Holocaust of some shame of like <laughs> embarrassment of like to sort of like the pendulum swung. And now they need to like, you know, publicly humiliate themselves after, you know, being so ashamed or, you know, I just I, I, I'm always trying to like put weird little equations like that together. Um, you brought up Italy. Fascinating. I need to talk about the mafia. I didn't plan okay. on it. How? How? Does the mafia manage to keep everybody quiet? How do you get someone to not, in this day and age? Like, how? I can't really say I'm too afraid. Truly. Yeah. Um. But, but like, what, but can, can we talk about why you're afraid? No, I was just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I mean, there was because I did. I narrated the Bunga Bunga podcast for Wondery that was about Silvio Berlusconi. Yeah. So I learned a lot about him because yeah. of that. And I didn't. I didn't know that much about him. You know, now I know it's like, oh, that was like the blueprint for Trump and and yeah. and Putin yeah. and like. I, I just like I'm fascinated by one guy who's like. Oh, I remember you were. I remember this Berlusconi fascination. Yeah. Just the idea that that everyone's like. Dada, okay. Because do we all just turn five years old? Like, how do you manipulate that many people? And we were just talking about succession earlier, like, you know, about how to collude and not, how do you get, you know, I mean, to get four people to, you know, not gossip about you when you leave the room, <laughs> much less getting people to be like, we're, we're going to kill this person. I need. 900 people to keep it a secret in the day of like Twitter and texting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, obviously fear plays a very large role in it and the fear is, is very real. It's bad. Family and being family, very family oriented, very patriarchal guilt, shame. You owe me. Yeah, that's true. They've been programmed from birth. Yeah, that's true. And it's very real. People are being killed for divulging their secrets, and that will put, that's very powerful. How does um, the mafia still kill people and nobody knows? Are they, I don't know much about the mafia. I, I don't. I don't. Like sh- Scientology and the mafia. I'm just like obsessed. Oh, Scientology for sure. Yeah. How do you like today? How is no one just screen grab? How is there not like some assistant or intern who just screen grabs and is like, "This is a scam." How is that just not like on Twitter? <laughs> well, you know, I was. Um, I had a weird feeling last night, just to make this, just to bring it back down to that. Um, I was on a, a radio show that was an AM radio show that still exists, right? Late at night, and I was listening. There were callers in, and I was getting this feeling about uh, our country that I never really had before. But it's also the world that there are a lot of people right now who are kind of in pain, mm. that are very lonely, mm-hmm. that don't know where they're going. Yep. They're not getting anything in life that means anything to them. Because in so many ways, the culture doesn't really give them anything to feed on that's substantial, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you have large groups of people that are kind of disconnected and alienated, they don't really feel like there's a purpose to their life and they're kind of anxious. Which is part of how Hitler yeah. 
pounced yeah. and capitalized on that very... Right. All you need is, is a, a charismatic leader who kind of feeds on that and says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to supply what's missing in your life, mm-hmm. right? And if you live in a culture like in Italy or in Germany where there is the family and there are these kind of uh, things, relationships to authority that can be very powerful, but we still have that in our country as well. So when you have large groups of people who feel kind of empty and there's no connection in their life between power politics and what's going on with them they're searching for something Mm. and if you give them a cause to believe in a party to believe Mm -hmm. in some ideology they're going to grab onto it right make them feel important essential yeah and also i talk in laws of human nature about our dark side and we all have these kind of dark impulses these kind of aggressive impulses where we want to act out but we're too afraid to do that when you have like this kind of charismatic like leader, like a, a Hitler or somebody like that, it gives you license now suddenly to act out all those darker impulses that you've been repressing, right? I have a weird question. If you, I'm not into bondage. <laughs> well, you're on this podcast. It's basically the same thing. You're trapped here. <laughs> if you had to kill someone, how would you do it? As someone that has just studied every psychopath and like well what what are the circumstances that somebody you just have to kill someone like you gotta get rid of someone they're harming your your Anna they're they're it's just they gotta go and you're not gonna go to jail you're not gonna get in trouble. Well I had a gun I'd shoot them. You just shoot them in the face. Why not? Yeah that makes sense. I'd shoot them in the heart or uh, the, or the head yeah that makes way. sense. Let yeah. me ask you so let's say. Why did you ask that question? I don't know. I was just thinking about the dark. I mean, a more interesting question is like, how would you commit suicide? That's the better question, of course. Of course, you're better at this than me. Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I think about that. I don't know how how you'd commit suicide. I probably I would never jump. I watched that that um, the trailer for the one about the San Francisco. The jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was I could not. What, what happened? There was it was a, a someone put a camera because how many people commit suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge every year? Quite a few. Twenty or thirty people a year, but they they put a live camera on it like a GoPro or something, and um, they watch the people like deliberate. You know, so you see the footage of them pacing back and forth and making the decision and making phone calls. Oh, and my cr- God, that's you, So you're seeing the moments in sometimes oh, hours and very, days before. And then you see them jump. And there's this one guy. I don't uh, – please tell me if I'm misremembering this. Um, that uh, he survived. They interviewed him. Oh, that's amazing. That's a fascinating Be- story. Because I'm obsessed with when you jump, what's going through your mind? Well, there's a lot of literature on that. Because there's no one that's really there to that survived to tell the tale. Who can well, tell? Well, there are people who survive from incredible falls. Well, I want to hear this from you, but he said that he was instantly regretted it. Oh, really? And then apparently he landed on a seal and bounced <laughs> off the seal? No. And survived? Is this no. a dream? And what happened to the <laughs> what happened to the, what happened to the seal? Brought to you by SeaWorld. Uh, I am now sponsored by the most evil corporation on the planet. Um, what happened to the seal? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't think the seal wanted to be involved. Um, 
<laughs> this is a Pixar movie waiting. <laughs> Me and Pixar. Hey, so this guy commits suicide, but a seal saves his life. This seal. is the next Finding Nemo, you guys. But, but the seal, seal dies lion. in the process. A sea lion. Yeah, 20 years ago, Kevin Hines jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. As he was falling, he oh. realized he didn't want to die, and he didn't. They made a documentary about it. He, he was drowning when he jumped, and if it hadn't been for the sea lion that was circling beneath me and kept me afloat until the Coast Guard was oh, behind me, I would then. not be here. So he didn't land on the sea lion. <laughs> but that's kind of. more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the, he like bounces About, on a seal. I mean, that is, okay, yeah, of course I turned it into like, boy, yo, yo, I turned it into the sea lion being like, I got you, buddy, I got you. <laughs> like I'm picturing Mona being like, don't worry. But um, but what when people fall, do they instantly regret it? Um, some people do. I don't know. I don't, I haven't really read about that, but I know that there's the whole phenomenon of your life flashing before you and it's mm. very real. And a lot of people report that. Mm. And some people report incredible feelings. I want to do that just to remember what my life, what happened in my life. <laughs> but, <laughs> then, but then it might be the last moment of your uh, life. Yeah. Isn't it weird to think, I, oh, uh, it's so weird to, I was uh, David Sinclair posted today something about um, a place in Greece or Italy or somewhere where they live to 107. I guess the everybody. Old, yeah, or uh, the average age. I was just looking it up. Do you want to live to 107? I don't think so. I don't think so. Wait, that, that would be 68 more Grace, years of your life. Did we move Twitter on my home screen? Mm-hmm. I did not. Oh well, Twitter's mm-hmm. not on my home screen anymore. So. So is Twitter over? Twitter, Twitter's canceled. If I don't have it on my app, it must be gone for, for good. Um, but I, okay, I want to talk to you about hire, like gut instincts and hiring. Like, you know, I think a lot of people listening, a lot of people that are like looking up to you now and even like the younger people that are just coming out of college and discovering you that want to start their businesses and take over the world. Like what... <sighs> At a time where power kind of puts a target on your back, you know, like, because now you're being, if you're in power, you're now being hunted. It's like, let me find that tweet from 20 years ago. Let me talk to that ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend from 20. Let me talk to that landlord. God, you're making me scared. I know. (laughs) Trust me. But is there, like, you know, anything to be said about is, is the... You know, in terms of having skeletons in your closet, how about that? You know, like I was thinking about you today because I guess uh-oh. I, I know, I know, uh oh, I hate talking about politics. I never do, but I'm just going to do it for this example. When you show any kind of weakness, like I've learned from your books, like you don't want to show weakness in any ways, but unless it's strategic, but like Biden farted at a thing. He did? <laughs> what? Oh my gosh, when Robert! That? Robert, <laughs> that should be headline news. I it is. Camilla and Camilla Parker Bowles won't stop talking about oh, it. I think I did hear hear about this. Okay, so this is like it's a whole thing. He farted at some conference. What is it, Pat? Uh, Joe Barton farts <laughs> on live. Joe Biden's loud fart sound interrupts live chat with Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. Okay. And then Donald Trump Jr. shares it on Twitter. Apparently, it's like pretty wild. And now, uh, 
Okay, President Biden. Okay, let's make sure this is a real website um, and not like alexjones.com. Uh, uh, farted in front of Camilla Parker Bowles at the climate summit in Glasgow last week, and she. <laughs> so, like, is this a power move? Or... <laughs> Look. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you okay? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, <clears throat> that is the 49th law of power. Fart. Like, when you become the president, fart. Like, that is the well, biggest <clears throat> power move. Well, LBJ, when he was president, kind of showed that he was the boss and he could do anything and his subordinates were like nothing. He would he would have them come to the office and he'd be on the toilet taking a dump, and he'd have them like sit there and take notes, <laughs> just to Jesus. to put them in their place. <laughs> read Rob O'Carroll's book; it's all true. Uh, so did you ever see um, this? I might need to share my screen for. Did you ever see when Whoopi Goldberg farted on the View? Hmm. <laughs> what? No, I never saw Emily, that. Stop I this! Can you can we share my screen so that I can show this? Yeah. Oh no! You're... Okay, this is. I am not to leave the room because this is this this. <laughs> I'm gonna couple... have to leave the room too. I think there was a clip of Donald Trump farting, wasn't there? Oh yeah, there was. He oh, farted wait, wait, hold first. On. It's he also, by the first. way, Claire yeah. Danes is talking about 9/11. Oh please, <laughs> stop it! I don't want to see it. I don't want this. How do I get the volume? You make up me more. explode. I think it, it explores that in a really smart way. Well, um, you know, you, uh, oh, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that to me, the fact that she was just like, what? Huh? <laughs> and that the, the word whoopee, whoopee cushion. I know. Like, what? So sad. I, when I, it's Claire Danes is talking about 9 11. No, stop it. This is painful. <laughs> that's like my worst. That's going to happen to me at some point. That's my <laughs> destiny. <laughs> So we now take a break, and me fawning over Robert Greene, my just big daddy energy. I just love him so much. Am I flirting too much with him? No, he's so... He liked me, which I'm now feeling better about myself as a human, because he liked me. By the way, you should. Yeah. I feel like I passed a pretty big test. That's big, actually. Yeah. He's kind of the only person's approval I need at this point. And he was like, at the end of the show, he was like, I'm very impressed with you, and I was like... He doesn't do that. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say it, but I felt that. Oh, he didn't say it, so you just lied. <laughs> you just said vibe. something that wasn't true. It was true. a vibe. It was yeah, but vibe. you said he said it, though, <laughs> which is weird. He said it with his actions. Mm, that's not... He said it with his actions, and he said it with... He, but he you, said I Googled things really fast, so he was impressed by that. Well, he's he's older. I mean, <laughs> it's no one else has said that. No one said that under 40. <laughs> because I have to I, like I have to look at you and then try to go like we should google that and then you don't and then I have to be like hey M can we look that up and then any road, and then I stop playing snood any roadblock <laughs> will will be an obstacle that you'll give up I'll be like google is a Dora Duncan and it'll be like I don't know how to spell it I that is not true I just ah why do we talk about Isadora Duncan so much on this podcast? Because she hung herself on a scarf. I wish in, that be, I could uh, have in that a kind car. Of luck. And you know what? Had she got it at Stitch Fix, maybe she wouldn't have been in that jam. And damn, you're good. <laughs> 
You know, she bought it herself. Yep. You shouldn't be buying scarves for yourself. It was too long. Yeah, she didn't use Stitch Fix Freestyle, the number one trusted style destination where you can discover and instantly buy curated items based on your styles, likes, and Who lifestyle. Who ever sent you a scarf so long that, that it would could... get stuck in a wheel well. of a convertible in the 40s? Okay? They've got styles for workouts, workwear, lounging around the house, or for a night out on the town. Stitch Fix has clothes for any occasion and takes the the hassle off your plate. There's no subscription required. Free shipping returns and exchanges. I Benton took my test for me because you take a quiz. Mm-hmm. Benton took my test for me, and Benton finally did something that was not big sabotage energy. <laughs> and the clothes I am getting, honestly, I've worn them uh, on most of the shows on the tour. Yeah, uh, I wore the freaking cutest pants. We have a video of me putting them on. The tops are so cute and I finally don't look like a lesbian lumberjack at shows. I've grown up <laughs> and Stitch Fix has like changed my look and the shows are getting so much. Now that I dress like a like very hip adult, yeah. I don't get as many heckles. You dress for the job you want, which is why I'm wearing a librarian's cardigan. Uh, Here we yeah, go. which is why you're dressed like um, <laughs> a Martha. Oh, look at this. Oh. This is a full Stitch Fix wardrobe. You're a stitcher. I'm such a stitcher. You're a snitcher. But I feel like this is, like, I can do it. This is so much better than jeans. What are these pants? How do they know? I know. It looks like you should be in a theater now. Wow. Look Don't you think this. this will look pretty with the backdrop? And then I can wear this top from Stitch Fix tomorrow for Green Bay. It's green. Cute. Oh, yeah. That's really smart. What do you think? People are going to love that. And it's still wild like you. Look at these pockets. These are actual pockets. Real pockets for a real life woman. Wow. This is so good. Don't you think? Yes. Everyone should go to stitchfix.com. Sold out tour look. Am I, I'm really stepping it up with my looks at the to- on tour. Thank you, Stitch Fix. We're not, I'm not wearing pajamas anymore as a comedian. I'm an adult. Fashionable adult. Thank you, Stitch Fix. Tell them thank you. Thank you, Stitch Fix. I'm proud to be a stitcher. And I'm sorry, Benton's a snitcher. We're snitching on Stitch Fix. Yeah, because everybody should know Stitch, about it. Stitch, everyone should know Everyone should know about it, BB. Get started today by filling out your style quiz at stitchfix.com slash Whitney. Don't worry, you can't fail this quiz. That's <laughs> stitchfix.com slash Whitney to try Stitch Fix Freestyle. Stitchfix.com slash Whitney. Don't dress like a Martha. Dress like a Whitney. (laughs) Houston in a bathtub. (laughs) Uh, So I've been on the road with Benton. We have done, and Emily too. Emily's coming for, sometimes Emily doesn't come. And I just, it's just me and a. If I know you're flying spirit, I don't come. (laughs) (laughs) It's just me in a cage with a tiger all weekend. Uh, You guys haven't killed each other yet. No, no. Uh, And, uh. But Benton in the mornings, he likes to chat. So, I need a distraction. I need a therapeutic game to play. You need a break from your best fiend. Just exactly right. Whitney, I've been talking to you for like 15 minutes. What are you doing? Avoiding you at all costs. Well, it's really hard to do when you're, you know, laying on the ground by me. So what are you doing? I'm doing something way more fun than talking to you. Okay. (laughs) Not possible. It's super possible. Well, what is it? I know what I'm doing. Oh, you're playing Best Fiends. Like, I'm getting, I'm really getting good at this. Come on. Come on. Unique gameplay. Best Fiends has it all. (laughs) An amazing storyline, collectible fiends, and tons of fun puzzles. 
I can't put it down, as you just saw, and I also play it lying down because uh, my L4 uh, has really mm. took a hit in Green Bay. Sexy. Uh, you can play it anywhere, even if you don't have Wi-Fi. Oh, that's good. Not a problem. Play Best Fiends wherever and whenever you want with offline mode. So even if your holiday travels take you off the beaten path, uh, you can still play Best Fiends. Uh, download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. It's friends, but without the R. Best fiends. And now back to someone I want to hear talk. Robert Green. <laughs> a friend of mine the other day was talking about hiring like an assistant. Right? Oh, okay. And, All and right, I was, now we're back to... Th- and now we're back to I what? Calm down. <laughs> back to normal adult conversations. Okay. Sorry, I know. Robert Green. Famous Robert Green is on. I'm talking about flatulence. <laughs> um, but but it, it's more about weakness to me. Like what to sh- showing weakness, showing vulnerabilities because it's like now, okay... Women are in power more now, yes. like, right? And I don't want to be stoic, and I want to be able to share my vulnerabilities. And part of what my job is is to overshare and show my vulnerabilities and admit them. And there's a certain strength in that. Uh-oh, you're writing. No, is no, Is that no. your suicide note? No. You're writing. <laughs> and um, there is a thing, and I don't, know, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to say it. I was talking to a friend of mine who's getting a little bit of success, and she's like, I want to hire an assistant. Okay. And I was like, well, if you're going to hire – I wouldn't look at it that way. Hire a teammate. Tell me if any of this logic is is broken. You know, I think that – because you said the word subordinate earlier. It's like – I did? It, well, no, it was like – it was just – no, with, with like Hitler, your subordinates, like Hitler, your subordinates or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like you want someone because you're – the person that was your research assistant, right, is now a brilliant writer. Yes. His name? Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday. more famous than I am. Yeah, so, but you were like, um, don't outshine the master, but uh, you don't hire someone that's going to run your errand. That's not what they, you want someone that's a star that's going to be your teammate. What? What's happening with your face? You hate me. No, I just don't agree with you. The but second hold on. time. I'm not saying it well. Okay. I'm not saying it well. So I think the days of wanting someone to do something for you or needing power over someone is in the day of Postmates and Amazon. and Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. You can book your own flight. You know, you, you're not um, – I'm trying to avoid saying the word slave is <laughs> basically what's happening right now. <laughs> so I'm just um, tap dancing. But it's just like the idea of there's so many ways – I think there's so much power in doing some things yourself. Yes. And having anyone that is in your life be, my goal is always, you're on this team so that one day I work for you. You bring something I don't have. Definitely. And I'm investing in you. And um, I don't want to be above you. I I want you to event, what? You hate me. Well, the parts of it I agree with you, and the parts I don't agree with you. Okay. Well, there's that's why we're so similar. I disagree with me all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know, there is such a thing as somebody having more experience than another person, and there is such a thing as somebody who's a bit of, has authority over you, mm-hmm. and not everything has to be fair and equal. No. So you're the you're the boss. You make more money. You have more experience. You know the business better. And that's been earned. And it's been earned. Now, you're hiring someone. Yes, they are not your S word. I agree. Um, 
And they, it, you do want them to feel like they're a part of the team, mm -hmm. right? But you also want them to feel that they're going to learn something from you. There's a level of respect. Of course. Of co and the respect has to be there. But I don't want someone that's just, you, you always make me think of octopuses, like just a mindless, like you want someone who's going to sort of Yes. challenge you and who's brilliant in their own way they're investing okay, in. Okay, okay, but let me give you an example, a, a weak example from my own life, because it's easy. For, oh, Ramona. Ramona. Um, so I, I need a researcher, right? Mm -hmm. Ooh, careful. Sorry, Mona is made of sticks, and no, she, just she just knocks over my into cane. Wall. That's all right. Sorry. No, no, no. She's like, right. lean on me. Um, so I need to hire a research assistant <clears> because <throat> I'm not getting younger, and I need help. And I've tried this with every one of my books. So I hire this person, let's just call him or her X, mm -hmm. right? And him or her, I'll just use the pronoun they, okay. um, is very smart, has degrees, is, you know, very academic, very knowledgeable. And I'm looking for someone like you who I, like you said, who I can train, who will then be able to bring some things that I can't get, mm -hmm. right? And I like hiring young people because they know things about the internet that, I don't, that I don't, and they can help me organize my life, and they, they're smarter about those kinds of things. But the problem with this person X was that they had an ego, and they thought that they were almost as, as good as I am. And so, like... I give this person, you know, some a chapter that I wrote, just expecting them to say, Robert, it's brilliant, I love it. Mm -hmm. And he or she comes back and says, you know, uh, here are things that I would change, and here are things that I would edit. You didn't earn that right, my friend. Mm -hmm. And I fired him right then and there. I could see right then and there that he had this ego, that he was, and now I've revealed that it's a man. He, <laughs> was, he was kind of pushing, you know, he, 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 wanted, he wanted the attention. He wanted to be thought of that he was brilliant. And you had to bide your time. You have to know that you're an apprentice. And then an apprentice learns from somebody who has more experience. Yes, you have things to offer. I'm very respectful. I listen. I listen to your ideas. I know that there's a back and forth here. But at a certain point, one person is the boss. One person has experience. And you're learning from them. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a degree of respect and some degree of distance. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, hierarchy for order. I think so, a little bit. Maybe I'm just too old-fashioned that way. There's something to be said for order and clarity, especially when you're dealing with a lot of people, directing a movie, running a TV show, yeah. running a business. Every, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, I know, they're like, I want to start this company, I want to direct this movie, I want to write a TV show, I want to be a famous comedian, I'm going to do this and this. It's like, well, you have to be comfortable with what might seem like an archaic or not progressive hierarchy system yeah. so that some if you're if you imagine a plane there can't be nine hands on one plane there's one person and they're like you guys get out of the way i know what i'm doing right. and i'm going to do this and you guys need to trust me that leads me to a question of can you teach instinct people with good instincts how do you know if someone has a good good because to me that's the most valuable thing in a person is does someone have good instincts like people can make mistakes and they can mess up honest honest mistakes are totally fine i i think honest mistakes are actually kind of uh a little bit delightful because yeah. the way people handle them yeah says a lot about their character yeah of saying oh I forgot about that. I'm sorry. And they'll tell you the truth. And you're like, oh, great. You told me the truth. Like, mm -hmm. that was an honest mistake. I, I like you more now, kind of, you know? Sure. Because now I can trust you. But 
can you teach someone's instinct? I think about power and I think about, okay, once you get power, you know, you've read all of our Green's books you, and it's helped you get the, you know, relationship you want or yeah. the job you want or the company that you wanted to build. And now it's about how, what, who do I keep? Who do I not keep? Who do I break up with? Who do I stay with? Who do I, you know, and there's a lot of, t- I've lost a lot of time trying to train people to think a certain way. Yeah. Whether it's boyfriends, you know, it, it works very well with animals, actually, which is why I love animals so much, because yeah. it yeah. sticks. Um, but there's a certain point where you got to surrender and just go, like, the instinct is what matters more than the, on a daily basis, like, training someone to do this right. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I do. Um, I, I look at it a little bit differently. Um, I sort of look at people's character mm. as what matters. Mm-hmm. Right, so we see the surface of people. They smile a lot. They're very charming. They please. They say, "Whitney, I think you're hilarious. I love you, etc." But we really don't know what's going on beneath the the mask. Yeah, and we hire them based on how charming they are, mm-hmm. based on the resume, based on all the appearances. Right? Based on our insecurities, we hire them to, yeah. Yeah, we project onto them what we think they are, which isn't the reality, mm-hmm. and we're not seeing inside them. And so I say that people have a character that's deeply, deeply engraved. And it's something that they can't almost control. It comes from it's partially genetic and it's partially from their early attachments, et cetera, mm. right? And so there are people with a strong character. And people with a strong character usually have the right instincts, I think. And a strong character is someone who has a sort of elastic ego. They don't get immediately defensive. If you criticize them and you say, I want you to be more like this, they don't get res- inward- inwardly resentful. They don't kind of try to betray you or sabotage you later on or work against you. They, you know, they, don't, they, don't, um, they don't take it the wrong way, right? They take it constructively. Right. So their ego can kind of bend a little bit with right. the circumstance. People with a strong character can stand pressure and stress. So if things get stressful, they don't crumble and become a whiny little baby. Mm-hmm. They kind of can, can stay firm and kind of help you in a, in a stressful moment. They can be the one kind of, you know, giving you strength, etc. And And a person with strong character can work in a team. They can work with other people. They don't have to have everything be about them. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So that kind of person is the kind of person you want to hire and the kind of person you want around you more than more than where they went to school, more than how charming they are. Because when when situations get tough and you need to depend on them, they're going to be able to to give you what you want, you know. And I do think that people who have that kind of character generally have the right kind of instincts in certain situations. Hmm. What do you think in terms of this, you know... um, So, I'll just say one more thing. Please. Um, You know, a lot of times when we meet a person... We can sense right away that there's something wrong about them, right? Mm. And I tell people who get into toxic relationships, you know, can you go back to that moment when you first met them? And can you remember a moment where you got initially a little bit uncomfortable in their presence? Or conflated discomfort with butterflies, passion. Yeah, but, but you didn't trust the feelings. That's what I'm getting at, right? So a lot of people have the right instincts because we are animals and we can kind of feel that a person is fake 
mm-hmm. or that a person is hiding something. Mm-hmm. You know, like children are very good at that. They can sense that someone is fake or they're full hiding of shit. something. Yeah, full of shit. Um, and we have it too to some degree, but we don't trust our instincts. Mm-hmm. So that's the other problem. We're all sort of sensing that something is wrong, but we we're, we're kind of we've learned to like not trust these kind of feelings and instincts. And it's it is sometimes I hate to bring gender into it, but like I think women more so of Definitely. you're crazy, you're psycho, you're judgmental, you're critical. You're gossiping, you know, when you have a gut instinct. I just don't trust that person. It was just because she's pretty. No, I, I have a gut feeling, well, she's prettier than you. That's why you don't like her. No, I, I, I just have a weird feeling about this person, and then we're taught to deny our instincts. Yeah. Be, you know, you, you, you're you too saying, emotional. You're girl. saying that women have better instincts or, or more sharper than men. Sharper, but also we're taught to minimize them yeah. and, and quell them faster because we're crazy, we're emotional, we're sensitive, right. we're psycho, we're, you know, jealous. You're being jealous. We're right. taught to not listen to them and overpathologize yeah. our reaction. Definitely. Definitely. And think of how many relationships and how many traumas that would save you if you had trusted your instincts in that first moment when you met this per- person and you kind of got overwhelmed. You, for a second, you felt uncomfortable in their presence. Mm-hmm. Something in their eyes seemed a little bit dead. The smile seemed a little bit fake. Mm-hmm. They weren't listening to you, but they were kind of looking the other way. And you felt that for about five seconds, and then you disregarded it because then they're charming, then they see something to flatter you, and then you kind of forget that first moment where you felt that discomfort and you never go back or to that liked feeling. The discom- you liked the dissonance. You liked the fact that you had to well, chase. Well, that's a whole other story, yeah. That's like what's going on with you that you saw the, you know, we say, you know, red flag, and then went, wait, what is that? Now, now I need to figure out how this adds up. Yeah. I need to now. I need to make that equation make sense. Yeah. Like I thought, I saw. Am I the only person that saw that? Or are we spe- are we soulmates? I saw yeah. that. I saw him without the mask. Maybe yeah. we're soulmates. I'm the only person that's ever seen that side of it. You know what I mean? Oh, that's that's creepy. That's toxic. scary. That's very toxic. Toxic. Yeah, yeah my brand. Yeah, Me. Yeah. But it's, I'm, I think the lesson is there is to trust some of these instincts more to understand that they occur for a reason and that you have a gut reaction to people that's often very true and very real and occurs for a reason. And you're so obviously, if not the most articulate, eloquent person, even if you can't articulate it, it doesn't mean it's not an instinct. Yeah. So I can go, I have a gut about this. I can't tell you, I can't elegantly lay out why this person is not a match. Maybe in five minutes or maybe in five years I'll be able to articulate it. I'm just going to go with this gut feeling, even though I can't put words to it. We we rely too much on words, right? So we, we are animals at heart and we have these feelings and they're very real when they happen in the moment. They happen before the language kicks in, right? And so you've got to trust that and not try to put it into words. What it... You know, sorry to go back to Theranos for a second. I'm just fascinated okay. because maybe she's just a psychopath or a sociopath, and that's oh. that is what it is. But I was just thinking about Mona, and these are wolves. You know that she got a husky. No, I didn't know that. She has a husky. So Elizabeth Holmes got a husky. She's like, oh, I got this husky from this breeder, da da. And then just and someone was like, that looks like a wolf, or I don't know how it, the inception of this lie. And then she just started telling people it was a wolf. Balto. She named it Balto. Balto. Mm-hmm. After? The, uh, a famous, like, husky dog that used to deliver medical supplies in 
Alaska. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. The Dropout is this podcast about the court case, which I am on the edge. Of. This is my OJ you, trial. You need to play Elizabeth Holmes in the Don't you think? No, Emily actually does the most amazing Elizabeth Holmes she impression. She has a deep voice. She does the most amazing because she has such of... big eyes, Emily. But also being blonde. Like the fact that this woman was able to seduce all these brilliant men. Mm-hmm. These Henry Kissinger, like these incredibly brilliant men. They're the easiest to fool. How? Why? Well, they have a blind spot. They think that they're so smart. They're you know, so they old and blind. They talk about it in the 48 Laws of Power. Con artists often choose people who are the most sophisticated. So I tell the story in the 48 Laws of Power of the great con artist Count Victor Lustig, who actually went and conned Al Capone himself. Knowing full well that if Al Capone saw, saw through it, he'd be in the bottom of a river within a few days, right? And he went and he conned Al Capone, knowing that a person like that never thinks that anybody could ever con them because they're so smart. They're so together. I'm the last person anybody would try it's to like con. It's like the big lie, like, like, like why I'm going to trust you with this insane lie. L- be, my mom is a worm. <laughs> Because you would, because you would never get away with it. So why would you lie about it? So yeah. I'm going to trust you. Yeah. Why would you never get away conning Henry Kissinger? So the fact that you're so you're doing it this, must mean you're trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's blonde, and she's she is she pretty? I can't. She's remember. pretty in a way that is. I th- this is my theory on it. And I just want to run it by you. Okay. She's in a time where it was like post Me Too. She's the she's pretty in a way that is masculine enough. Yeah. To not be, oh, you're just giving her money because she's this hot chick. Right, right, right. And and feminine enough to be like, oh, you're giving money to a woman. Right. Who is blonde. And she's got the black turtleneck. And she's got the whole Steve Jobs thing going. Well, that was very, like, calculated. She, she wore was. the Steve Jobs thing. I, I As I'm wearing a turtleneck. Um, That's not that but, I, <laughs> but no, uh, I, uh, it was like, it gave, you got to check off your I'm a f- man who's a feminist card I believe in women I believe women are yeah, smart exactly. but the thing that's so funny to me about it is like they were like she went to Stanford and she dropped out therefore she's smarter than the ones that went for four years <laughs> what? like an 18 year old was like I don't need any more school well, therefore she's smarter it's almost like her uh, like Blind egomania uh, was so insane that it overwhelmed their intelligence to go, oh, she must be smarter than me because she quit Stanford. Well, there were there are a lot of people who really made it in, in Silicon Valley who have that kind of story behind them. You know, Bill Gates dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. There are a few others. I can't but remember. But he had uh, here. Well, my yeah. whole thing with Theranos was like th- the technology didn't exist. It was yeah. a very good idea. You know, you can have good ideas. Good ideas don't mean anything. Yeah. You know, we all have good ideas. Yeah, but people don't think that far in advance. You know, a lot of it has to do uh, the, what you do in a con game because the word con game means confidence game. Is you're gaining the con? Confidence. Is that where con comes from? Yes. Getting conned. Ooh, love that. And so you're earning the confidence of the other person. And so the con game has to be something that they want to believe in already. Mm -hmm. So if people are primed to believe that there's this miracle thing that could happen at the pharmacy that could diagnose you, then they're more prone to, like, believe that you're telling the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Because it seems like this magical cure that will exist. Well, yeah, I want to get on that. I mean, think of the billion. Yeah, sorry. 
Oh my gosh, how did I just interrupt you with my expression? I just went, and you were like, hmm? Okay. Well, no, because I have this thing. I'm sorry to bring this up again. Uh-huh. But when a female pilot comes on the plane, when I'm on a plane and a female pilot walks on, I'm like, uh-oh. That's my first reaction. Uh-oh. I've never seen one of those. That can't be good. Your hair is really interesting. Right my now. hair just went crazy. What happened? I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too. It's kind of like one of those cartoons. Um, Fraggle Rock, a big energy. So, and I go, uh-oh. And then I go, wait, no. <laughs> um, I um, uh, Babe with the power. What power? I look like one of yeah, yeah, yeah. Labyrinth's gremlins, David <laughs> Bowie's gremlins. Who do you do? You remind me of the babe. Um, uh, and then I go, wait, no. Because we, uh, okay, so on Friday, we flew Spirit Airlines, and have you ever heard of that? No, it doesn't sound sketchy. It's, yeah. Bent, as Benton said, Benton, the great Benton Ray said, um, it's called Spirit because that's what you are after you fly it, <laughs> after, all the, <laughs> after all the people that died from flying Spirit Airlines. Um, that's a bad name for an airline. It is, I mean, wild, uh, Corpse Airlines. Yeah. And there was a, a woman and. uh and I go, oh, oh, a woman pilot, oh, no, they're not going to be as good because I don't see as many. That's what your stupid sexist brain does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go, wait, no, she had to be twice as good to get half as far. Definitely. She must be way better. That's definitely- so then the trick of when I see Elizabeth Holmes, if she's blonde and has blue eyes and is 19, she must be like a super genius because she's defied all these stereotypes, you know, all the blonde, dumb blonde jokes. How do you drown a blonde, put a scratch and sniff snicker on the bottom of a pool? You know what I mean? Like, Let's say that again. how do you drown a blonde? You put a scratch and sniff sticker on the bottom of a swimming pool? Like, I'm thinking of just dumb blonde jokes. I don't even get the joke. I'm that stupid. Like, it's, no, it's, it's, I'm probably not saying it right. No, it's, that's, it's, uh, cause then the blonde would go down and scratch it and sniff it and drown. Oh. Cause she would be trying to sniff it. Like, I, I don't remember okay. dumb blonde jokes. Uh, how do you know a, bl- a blonde's been using a computer? There's white out. Oh. There's white out on the screen. <laughs> There's white out on the screen. Or how do you kill a blonde? Or like, what do you do when a blonde throws a grenade at you? Pull the pin and throw it back. <laughs> yeah, okay. Guys, I could go all day. Oh, <laughs> I could go all day. Okay. So, like, just like, thank you. If she's blonde and blue eyed and pretty and young, and she's like wants to do this, she must be Jeff Zuckerberg. Yeah. Because she comes in this packaging, so she must be triple as brilliant. Yeah, it would have been great to be there to hear like her initial pitch, like what she said to people, you know, and how. She kind of gave them the idea that she was, that she was so brilliant or whatever. Is it, is it just the blonde hair? There must have been something that I, she said. Well, there's. I think she. I mean, I definitely think she's a Robert Greene fan. She would tell a story about her uncle that was in oh. a war, and she. Or no, so she said she. Her uncle had Alzheimer's, and she's like, if he only, if we only had a blood test mm-hmm. to catch this sooner. And it turns out she was never really that close with him. Is that it, Em? Yeah. yeah she, well, she, I think he, she lied about him having Or I don't know if she lied about it, but she he had cancer. But He has cancer now for sure. You're thinking of the war. The war thing was that she lied about them using the Einstein on the battlefield. The Einstein, the, or, or the Edison. The, the Edison, Edison. On the on Einstein. The so Edison basically on the she said this to Henry Kissinger. Wouldn't it be great if in the battlefield, you know, when soldiers are fighting, you could take their blood real quick and find out what the... Which, Honestly, that's weird to me because it's like no one needs to find out if they have AIDS on the battlefield. 
That's not what we're doing here. Like, it's the blood's everywhere. What are you talking about? Like, hey, I just want to know real quick if I have sickle cell anemia. That's not what we're doing. Like, I, am I type O? Like, there's there's bullets coming in my head. But it was a, how do I get a quick blood test real quick to make sure uh, to detect cancer, like, at CVS? You know, like, can I go to CVS, pick up my thyroid medication at 48 years old and do a little prick of blood and find out, oh my gosh. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to Who wouldn't in want a, that? But it's, yeah. it's you know, easy bake oven. You know, it's yeah. like. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this story the last time if I was here, but if I did, please stop me because I don't want to be like I'm getting daughtering and I'm repeating the same <laughs> stories. But I have a very interesting lesson about that. I was 22 years old and I was, and I was in Paris, France. And uh, I wanted to stay there and work there, right? And did I tell the story before? No, but there's some of it is in this book. No, that's not the story. That's that not book. the same book because there no. is a couple Paris stories in here. Well, anyway, so I'm in Paris, France, and I had been there previously for a couple for a couple weeks, and then I went to Greece and I came back. I decided I want to stay in Paris, and I had been in this hotel, and I was I had been in Ireland before that. Believe me, I'm going to make the story make sense. So it's just no, I on. did. Okay. You're Robert Green. Okay, so I was wearing, I'd been in Ireland the first time I was in Paris, and I had this little green cap. And I went to this hotel, and the owner of this hotel said, you're an Irishman. And I was kind of drunk. I go, yes, yes, I'm from Ireland, and I was speaking French, and I kind of put an Irish accent on it. And then three weeks, three months later, I come back to Paris. I want to work and live there. And I go back to the hotel, and I see the guy, and he goes, oh, the Irishman is back. And he goes, yeah. And I said, I'm looking for a, a job. And he goes, well, as an Irishman, you can work here. You know, we have the common market. So you can be a receptionist in my hotel. And can I see your passport? And I go, well, you know, it's a little tricky. Oh, it's all right. I'll pay you under the table, right? So I think, fine, I'm going to be in Paris. I have this job. It's where all the models stay when they come to Paris. I'm 22. I'm so happy. I'm excited, right? And then, stupid me, I didn't realize that English people come to this hotel. And I couldn't get away with my French with kind of a little bit of a weird Irish accent to it. I now had to fool English people. And Irish people were coming to the hotel. <laughs> and I had to have an Irish accent, right? Oh. So what did I start doing? There was conveniently, this, is, this hotel is still there. It's in the French Quarter, Latin Quarter. I go to, there was a pub right across the way. And I would go into this pub and I kind of observed the people and I listened to their, the way they talked and I saw the way they dressed and their mannerisms. I started dressing like them. I bought the kind of black pants that they all kind of wore. I sort of saw certain gestures. I went to the library and I researched an entire past for me. I was born in Dublin on this particular street. I went to this school. I started to this professor. I had it all down, right? I got really, really good at it. And at one point, I started dating an Irish girl. <laughs> the story is Catch true. Catch me if you can. The story is totally true, and I have people who could corroborate it. And, um, and she thought that it was a little bit strange. Like, the accent was, a, she could tell it was a little bit off. I said, well, I spent a lot of time in New York, you know. Oh, okay, you know, she believed me. And then, like, my parents came to Paris to visit me. Ugh. It was like a, a Monty, uh, you know, like a Faulty Towers type episode. <laughs> I had to, like, go speak with them. They'd come visit, and I'd speak to them. And <laughs> then I'd return to the hotel, and I would speak in my Irish accent. Anyway, the whole point of it was, and this went, I'm leaving out many, many adventures along the, the way. The whole point of it is I have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> but also, 
I understood how you can make people believe anything mm. because they want to believe it. Nobody wanted to believe that there was somebody who was faking this with me. And one girlfriend that I had, I, I got so sick of trying to pretend to be an Irishman at some point. She was a Dutch girl. I said, look, I'm not really Irish. You know, I'm American. She got so angry. Like I, I like pulled the wool over her eyes. She like ran out. She never talked to me again. And I really liked her. It was like, so, okay, I got to be careful. I can't let anybody see through this. But people want to believe. Meanwhile, she like drew on her eyebrows and put on fake uh -huh. eyelashes and, and had a push-up bra. It's like everything you're doing is a lie. I never thought of it that way. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. So anyway, people want She's to. She's like, great, I'm 46. <laughs> <laughs> and I told you I was 21. Yeah. But anyway, people want to believe your story, right? So if, you, if you're moderately good at it and you feel like you, you kind of conv – I convinced myself at one point that I was kind of Irish, even though I'm Jewish from Los Angeles, mm -hmm. right? And I kind of got caught up in the whole story. But my whole – the point of it was it's actually quite easy to deceive people. And we're biologically – there's a biological basis to mirror. I think the mirror neuron thing has kind of been debunked a little bit, but like – No, it, it hasn't. Really? Who debunked it? I don't know. Me just now. <laughs> I've decided it's fooey. No, I think I brought it up with the uh, just because of the me neuroscience. Here's the problem with science, is that it's, oh, I agree. It's science. I already agree with you. Science is science for like two years, and then it's fiction. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. You guys. And then they go back to the same ideas that they contradicted like, like twenty years later. I love you, scientists who are like, we know the truth, and two years later, like. None of that was true. I we agree. just we just found out. Turns out leeches don't clean your blood. You're know, like, dude. So it's like it's medicine. It's like that's why it's called a practice. It's not called the championships. Yeah. It's not you know. So, um, I yeah, I'm obsessed with people's uh, inherent desire to be conned, and that maybe is. And you talk about this a lot. Like the antithesis is the avoidance of discomfort and conflict. Like, I just want this to be true so I don't have to, like, argue right. with you about it or, like, right. feel unsafe. I'd, but that's putting you in an unsafe situation, ironically. What's putting you in an unsafe Like, to go along with a con. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm doing this to try to be safe, to not have to have an uncomfortable situation. But in so doing, I am, my contribution to my future self is I'm in bed with a con artist now. But you don't know that. Yeah. Because yeah. you're self-deceiving. Yeah. How do you know when you're self-deceiving? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I got very good at it, but I'm sure there were signs that there was that I was trying a little bit too hard. Mm -hmm. And if you scratched the surface a little bit, you could have figured it out. I mean, I was giving clues left, right, and center that I really wasn't what I appeared to be. Mm. God, I hope I'm not totally ruining my reputation now <laughs> for years to come. Not in this in the slightest. By the way, look at the way that I read your books. I feel like I've written more in your books than you have. <laughs> oh well, tell me something. There's more. I'm just looking at all my little notes. Okay. Um, uh, Madonna. I I just have like things Madonna, written. I didn't talk about Madonna. Trend of authenticity. Uh, like there's this sort of thing now where everyone's like, I need to be authentic. Mm -hmm. What is that? What What is that? Do ya? All right. Well. I know. You know, we're never really authentic is the is the truth. 
Because I think saying that is manipulative, too. It's like, I'm being authentic. It's like, no, you're being manipulative by trying to say you're authentic. So now I have no ground to stand on because you're trying to say you're being authentic and that is your truth. And now you're trying to turn me into a bully by saying that. Right. So the moment we, we become socialized and we deal with other people, we become an actor, right? And you can tell this in your own life. When you're in front of your boss, if you work for a boss, you put on a different persona, you have a different mask, you talk differently than when you're with a colleague or with an intimate partner. You become somebody else. You're continually acting in a day-to-day fashion. That's what it means to interact with other people. You put on a particular mask that fits the crowd, right? Mm. And so the thing is, you never really know who you are authentically. Mm. What is truly me deep down inside? Because we're so... Um, reflecting, we're always, we're so in tune with what's going on in the culture, with what our parents tell us who we are. If you thought about it, who really are you? What is that authentic self that is you? It's not, it's not like an equation. It's not like something you can know easily or you can just simply think about, right? We're kind of mysteries to ourselves, Mm. you know? So if you think about who is the authentic me, it's kind of not clear, Right, and when you're in a social situation, you're not really being authentic. Mm-mm. Right, you're performing. Just get over the fact that you're constantly performing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we're actors. I like the performance aspect of it. Some people are really good actors. That's what makes them seductive. That's what makes them charismatic. Right, they're kind of conscious about a certain quality that attracts people, and they kind of know how to emphasize it and accentuate it. Why do we revere actors in our culture? Why do we give them so much money and so much celebrity and so much attention like you? Because we secretly admire their ability to to take on, to assume these different roles, to become different people. We wish we could have that kind of skill. Well, that's that's so fascinating to me because it's like when people are like, you know, you're acting anyway all the time in life. Yeah. And then everyone's like, I have anxiety. I have stress. I'm insecure. I'm like, you're already act, act like you don't. Thank you. (laughs) Just act like you don't. You know what I mean? Like, take a contrary action. We say this in 12-step programs. Take a contrary action. Like, just pretend you just lie. You know? It's like good lying. I think there's such a thing as good lying. I'm having fun. I'm having a good time. I like this person. Or I'm confident. You know, a a lot of what I have achieved, whatever it is, is me pretending I'm not scared when I'm scared out of my mind. I'm like, I'm Believe just going to... Believe me, I can totally understand I'm that. just going to pretend to be someone who's not. And like, you know, Rogan, you know, said this once, I think, way more eloquently than I would. He, it's like, sometimes I just have to do this shortcut that's like, if you're watching a movie and the person was in the situation you're in and you're writing the movie, what would you write the actor to do if they were the hero of the movie? And just do that. Like, do what, do what a hero in a movie would do in your situation. Whether uh-huh. it was, like, break up with that guy, break up with that girl, you know, get out of the car, sell the house. Whatever the, the thing is that you're scared of doing, yeah. write the movie about that thing and then go, oh, you know what the most badass thing that Robert Downey Jr. would do is, is Iron Man is he would just do this and this and this and he would leave and he would say, I quit or whatever and just do that, right. you know, and – even if you're scared, just pretend you're not. Yeah. And then deal with the aftermath later. It's just like close your eyes and jump, you know? And I've done that so many times, but maybe that's 
you know, the ability to do that is a confluence of, you know, ancestral, you know, epigenetic imprinting, ancestral, you know, history, courage, trauma, and the neurochemicals and whatever. Like, why can some people jump off a diving board for the first time and not be scared and some can't? Maybe it's, why can Alex Honnold, the guy that climbs the the rocks without a string, you know, without being scared. Yeah. There's, you know, maybe it's a lot of it's neurological too. our ability to tolerate that one moment of like extreme. Sometimes you just need one moment of like extreme bravery. Right. And push through it. Yeah. Just do it. The like warrior spirit, which some of us are just wired to be the warriors and some of us just aren't. And you're a warrior, right? You're a warrior princess. For certain. Thank you. Yeah. For certain things. Yeah. Certain things I choose not to warrior with. Uh-huh. But you're basically pretty fearless. You know how to kind of enter a situation and, and just kind of go for it and not think about it first. And just I think kind of overcome your own fears about something. I just transmute. I just think fear is energy, and I use it. I transmute. That's a great, that's a great way of putting it. I just use I it like as energy. That. I'm like, oh, that's fuel. Fear yeah. is always just fuel for me. Right. It's fuel or it's information. Yeah. Fear is either leave. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, my God. I Thank you for, I should turn around. Right. I should stop talking to this person. I should leave this alley. You right. know? Right. It's either information or it's a mem- old. And it's like, I have fear, but I'm in the grocery store. Why would I have fear in a grocery store? This makes no sense. It's well lit. There's food everywhere. I've, this is the most nourished I could be. This is the furthest from death I could be. <laughs> Why would I have fear? This must be old. And, um, or it's pr- primordial. Oh. I think studying neurology, which I was sort of forced to after my parents had strokes and, you know, the migraine stuff. Wow. It was like uh, I, had, I had to learn, oh, that's just adrenaline and that's just my body. Oh, I can just right. like use that. It's energy, money, and I'm just going to spend it, right? Like efficiently, and then also I think we emotional intelligence is such a tricky thing because I think we sometimes call things the wrong things. We misidentify our feelings the mm-hmm. same way when you you know meet a person that you're like oh, I have butterflies. That's like um, love at first sight. No, that's probably just fear. And it's masquerading as you're smiling and doing all, you know, and flirting and arching your back and putting your tits out because your body's trying to stay safe around a dangerous person. But, like, you're actually attracting and peacocking. Like, it's, you know, you we've been brainwashed to believe that it's the opposite. It's like a, it's like a in, dyslexic instinct or something. It's, like, mis, misnamed um, the same way Greenland and Iceland were conflated. Oh, I see. Um Will you come back when the podcast studio is done, the new one? I'll come back whenever you want. I'm your I'm your S word. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have so much more stuff. Now older people with experience look down upon. What's the biological basis for ageism? Say that. You're asking, a, are you asking me a question? No, I'm reading. <laughs> I'm reading the notes that I wrote. What okay. is the biological basis for ageism? I mean, there is a biological basis. I'm, I'm just kind of obsessed with that. Like some of the th- like, like when you're like racism. Why would anyone be racist? It's so stupid. It's not profitable. It makes businesses run. Well, more pr- ageism is is really really weird because, believe it or not, you're going to become you're going to be elderly or old at some point as well. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's not like I'm gonna I'm gonna become a different race. At yeah. Some point. <laughs> you're not gonna become you're Asian. Are, yeah. Yeah. You are gonna become old at some you're point. You're gonna become the thing you hate. 
Yeah. But, but there's a biological basis for it, right? Because there's only, you know, in tribal times, there's a limited amount of food. So if you start hating the older people, resenting them, they're taking up the food, like the way that moose, for example, like the older ones, you know, the younger ones start having to kill the older ones because if there's overpopulation, they start grazing, they start taking up too much of the food, killing the grass, and, like, they've got to go. Yeah, but, you know, there's a culture that's that's too reveres youth too much, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, since we're all going to get older, and, you know, I'm kind of in that category now myself, you know, now that I'm past 60, um, you know, there's, you've got to, you want to feel comfortable, you want to feel good about that. You want to feel that there's something worthwhile Mm -hmm. about being older so that you're not afraid of it. So that when you're in your 30s or in your 40s, you go, it's not so bad to turn 60. It's actually pretty great because in our culture, we kind of revere wisdom mm-hmm. and experience mm-hmm. and people who have learned the hard way. You know, when you get older, the first thing that happens to you is that you have to deal with a lot of people dying. And suddenly in my my world, people are dying left, right, and center that I know that I was very close to. had a very close friend recently who died about a year ago, right? It's very traumatic. And you you understand what that's like. And it teaches you something and it creates a kind of wisdom about life, a certain philosophy towards life about how ephemeral it is mm-hmm. and how precious it is, it is to be alive. The wisdom of age, yeah. Right? So if, if we could turn that value around, it would be incredibly important for us, I think, to actually think, look forward to something in getting older, that there are certain experiences that are worth having when you're older. And, you know, a lot of older people are kind of doddering. They repeat themselves. They do become rigid. And there's kind of a a negative aspect of that. But there are a lot of young people who are more rigid and more conventional than people in their 60s and 70s, you know. Mm -hmm. So as I get older, maybe it's because I am getting older. But I think that there, there, there should be something. I'm kind of embracing it. Yeah. I'm kind I of love- happy about it. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong. I'm obsessed what? with getting older. Like, I, I, lo- I was talking about this the other day. We did this, this June Shine launch for this thing. And I was like, I feel like now that I'm with, because with age, I have this new wisdom that ever, I've read every book. I went to every therapist. I went to every Al-Anon meeting, every AA meeting, every 12-step program. No one could tell me shit in terms of cutting out toxic people or how to stay in my lane or before you solve a problem, first make sure it's your problem and to not take things personally. Like we did this launch event and I was like five years ago, it would have been a disaster because I would have had toxic people there. They would have made it about them. There would have been 10 people being like, where are you? Why didn't you talk to me at the party? Why didn't you like, it was, I was like getting older. I feel like I'm, I'm on drugs. I feel like I'm an LSD all the time because I'm like, it's so much more fun because I don't waste time on the dumb shit. Oh, good, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's you have you get this sort of like tunnel vision where you're like, look at those roses, I know, I look know. at that hawk, and you I you're know. like a stoner uh, because uh, you're like you know what matters, and you're not like, why did he text me that? Why did she send yeah. that text without an exclamation mark? It was a period, not an exclamation mark, and then spend forty five minutes on that. Maybe it's Prozac. I do go on Prozac. I know I was I was in Australia once, uh, Sydney, a few years ago, and I was with, out going out with these guys, and they wanted to take me to this club or something. And I said, I don't want to go to this club. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm tired, and I got jet lag. Oh, come on! It's going to be really fun. It'll be mm-hmm. great. You have to go there. And I go, look, 
One of the great things about getting older is you can't be guilted into doing things you don't want. No. So fuck off. I'm not going to your stupid party. I know I'm not going to have fun. I'm going back to my hotel room and I'm going to sleep. And 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to say that. I kind of know what matters now as I get older. There's, I know how that story ends. Like, I know how that night ends. Ha! Huh. Whew! I'm really working up a hunger with all these interesting questions and all this active listening. And I'm getting smarter, but I could get even smarter with better brain food. Ba- brain food is the key. I wasted so much of my life eating trash mm-hmm. and being a dumb dumb. Yep. Okay? I second that. Rude. Well, you, well, if you had gone to the grocery store when I asked you to, I might have had brain food back. I when, got you enough dips. Back when you were my assistant, you didn't wouldn't go to the grocery store, so I almost starved to death. Delivery delivery services. They didn't that. at that time. Okay. Well, I, I needed an intern. I don't think they did. <laughs> now is the best time to be an assistant. You missed the boat by like five years. So fucked up. Like you missed Amazon Fresh. Doc, every delivery service. And you had to call doctors on the phone. You don't even need an. You don't need an assistant. (laughs) She doesn't listen to this. She's never seen the show. Yes. And if and if I get mad about it, she'll just be like, "Sounds like a you problem." (laughs) That's her motto. Grace said that to me the other day. Sounds like a you problem. My problems are your problems. If you want something problems. done right, you got to do it it's yourself. It's your job to solve my problems. <laughs> I mean, thank God for ritual where all vitamins are in one place because no one will help get food in my mouth. Yeah, and the protein powder. No one. Yeah, the, okay, so the protein powder is such a game changer. So I've been taking the pills, mm-hmm. the uh, Omega pills, mm-hmm. forever. They just come to my door. Before I had a podcast, by the way. Yeah. Probably why I'm good at having a podcast because mm-hmm. it grew my brain mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I was taking those ritual vitamins and they have little mints in them so take, you yeah, don't yeah, yeah, smell yeah. like a, a, fish, a quarry. Brackish fish well. Right. Here's the thing. They now have a protein powder. I take it with me on the road. They do need to make little travel packs because I just carry the whole damn thing. Yeah. I look like a, a heroin mule. <laughs> and, and I just take it wherever I go and then I get a smoothie like the one I'm holding up right now and then I just put it in here and mix it up even if I don't have a blender. Uh, we're going to show you a video in a hot second. Yeah. But it's I like need- a cooking video. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. a chef. It's a one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, which mm-hmm. is very cool. You're always going to know what's in Ritual's formulas, where the ingredients come from, and why they're included. Support your daily health. Tomorrow, as much as today, support your bones, brains, muscles. Help maintain muscle mass. It's a thoughtful formulation. Clean, plant-based formula. No trash. No dumb sugar. No syrup, high syrup, corn syrup, red number five bullshit. Created to support all your nutrient needs for different life stages. 18 plus, pregnancy, postpartum, and and uh, us, 50 plus. <laughs> 20 grams of pea protein plus, God, I love a pea. I love, you know what? I eat frozen peas as a snack. And really, to you, you chase, is that what you eat after your bunk cake? <laughs> <laughs> Every for lunch? Emily, I like a breakfast pastry. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think it's wild. <laughs> I don't think it's unreasonable. You, she eats birthday cake <laughs> okay. for breakfast. Okay. We you were, need ritual. We were in the airport the other day, and you go, I just can't figure out what your eating disorder is. And I go, I don't have one? And you were like, I think maybe you don't. Complete amino acid profile made with essential choline Ooh. to help fill in common dietary gaps. Your hair is very thick and healthy. I mean, you must be healthy. So here's me making it backstage at a show in, I think, Green Bay. This is how I do it. Can I help you? What are you doing? I'm putting... Oh, ritual! I just don't have... Oh, there's a scooper in here. That's right. 
Yeah. <laughs> Were you going to use that knife? Yes, I was. Well, I don't have a blender in here. We need to start putting in my rider um, blender so that I can, I put, I get smoothies before the shows and I put my ritual in my smoothie. What else do you want to know? And then you, you should get a, a shaker bottle so you can just shake it up. I know. Well, or you, for blenders. By the time you told me to do that, you could have maybe just ordered it. You could have ordered your shaker bottle? Mm hmm But you don't have enough energy because you're not uh, using the protein powder? I don't have enough energy because you're draining the life out of me. <laughs> Give me some of that ritual powder and I'll just, I'll just, I'll oh use the scoop. I'll I, scoop it right it, into my mouth. Is it weird? I just snort it. <laughs> is it weird that I like it when it's kind of like lumpy and chunky? It's weird that you're putting that knife in your mouth that I found on the floor. Well, it's covered in ritual protein powder, so. Oh, so it has to be good for you. I'm not scared. <laughs> it makes anything good. good for you. Yeah, this is my pre, people like to ask me about my pre-show routine. This is it. I like to tell people that it does look um, a lot different if you, if you don't half-ass the mixing. <laughs> but chug, it gets chug, in there. Chug, 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 chug. This is like the only way I can nope, do Nope, chug. Two shows a night at 39 years old. Mm. Mm. I actually like not blending it. I like when there's little chunks. You in like them. chewing it? That didn't come off, right? I like when there are little chunks in my mouth. Um, yeah, I like when there's like little, like, I don't know. They're like little curds, little ritual curds. Mm. It's like a, a chewy soup. It's like a bisque. Ritual strawberry smoothie bisque. <laughs> You're going to love that. I know. I was going to say, I, don't, I think ritual is going to drop us after this. But this is what I do before shows. People always ask. Like, it is? How are you doing 50 cities in a row and two shows a night at 39 years old with all the stuff you do and, ugh, and having to deal with Benton all day long, which is obviously emotionally exhausting. Oh God, the camera cut out. So weird. Oh, interesting. The camera? Yeah. It cut out. It cut why out. it wasn't on you? It cuts off on your not talking. No, no, bad signal. <laughs> it is crazy that you travel with this though. She only packs this in her suitcase. Yeah, I know. Oh yeah, there's a, uh, it, TSA took it out and like tested it. So why not shake up your ritual? I mean, you're—I mean, look at that. Who mm. wouldn't want that lifestyle? Who, and everyone there is eating cheese. Yeah. You're eating a ritual. I was. I was having my yeah. curds. Yeah. Cheese curds? Cheese curds. Ritual curds. <laughs> I'm telling you. That's your next that's, product. I'm just saying. I'd like to eat it on the ground floor of that. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> um, I know it, sometimes trying new things can be kind of scary. I, the key is just make it a habit. You know what I mean? You got to do 20, then it just becomes a habit. But they offer a money back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. That's a power move. Plus, mm -hmm. my listeners get to 10% off during, you just got uh, 10 minutes off of your life um, from us talking this long. But you also get 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash Whitney to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash Whitney. Oh, I almost <sighs> fell asleep. That took forever. I wish I had a sleep crown. Sleep crown? I don't... Uh, th they came to me because I pr I promoted their product. So, uh, no... I don't know why we want to get paid for this. I feel like I owe sleep crown money. This is a pillow oh. that is... They sent it to me years ago because I talked about how I couldn't sleep. Yeah. I'm an insomniac. I had, like, a legitimate Lunesta addiction. I was, like, smoking and weed. And you still couldn't sleep. That's I still couldn't sleep. Yeah. And by the way, I have to nap during the days because I break up my day into two days. So I yeah. need to be able to take a nap at any moment. Yeah. I like to lay down. Um, yeah. I like to, people are like, Whitney's so busy. She works hard. I'm, I'm a layer down. She downer. likes a lion. I lay. Yeah. I like to think. I like to collect yeah. myself. And it's a pillow that is somewhat weighted. Mm -hmm. And the outside of it is this like t-shirt material. Mm -hmm. And it hugs your face. And, and it, I don't know how they do this. It's always a little bit cold. Yep. It's, it's magical. It, you put it on your face, blocks out all light. Yep. 
and muffle sound. Which we could use which right now. Which we could use right now <laughs> because of course. If you can hear the Corey in the back. Of course. So it does a little pressure over the top of your head which relaxes your body for sleeping. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it has saved me headaches, migraines. Yep. Put it on. Completely yep. pitch black. It's yep. like an eye mask, earplugs, and a wake, uh, like a weighted blanket yep. all in one. You almost forgot your sleep crown. I would never forget my sleep crown. That's the most important part of sleep. It's the only reason I can sleep. Yeah, I know. Me too. So this is how I sleep with it here. See, look, I've started doing this now. I, I put it here so that it's just, ah, oh, and then this is how I nap with it over my head. Hugging my head. Look at that. I know. I love my... my isn't head. it the best? Oh. And it's cold somehow. And this is how I nap before the show. And then when I come home, it's right here. Uh, hugging my face. Covering my ears so that I can't hear anyone having sex in the hotel or any random... I can't even hear my own inner monologue. Because uh, you're too comfortable. Sleep crowns, they know that 75% of people are side sleepers, which, by the way, not, not great. great. Not good, mm. but that's what you are. And we made sure that the sleep crown works perfectly for you and fixes the fact that you sleep on your side, mm -hmm. and that's terrible for your shoulders and neck and everything. Uh, and your boobs, by the way. And your face. Yes, horrible. Unless, yeah. well, I, if I sleep on my side, I put my skin up and then put it down. <laughs> they're soft, squishy, or whoever's skin this is. Uh, they're soft, squishy. They're handmade in the United States. <gasps> Just like me. <laughs> For just like your boyfriend, soft squishy and made in the U.S. <laughs> for fifteen dollars off and free shipping in the U.S., you're not free shipping. You're expensive to move. Uh, go to sleepcrown.com/whitney and use promo code Whitney. What are you waiting for? They even have travel sleep crowns, PJ loungers, and pillow mist spray to give you a sense of calm <sighs> while you drift to sleep. That's sleepcrown.com/whitney. Promo code Whitney for fifteen dollars off, free shipping in the United States. Uh, sleepcrown.com/whitney. Promo code Whitney. You'll thank us Dude, when you wake it's up. A game, uh, it's a game changer. Oh, but, and back to Robert Green, my lover in my head. <laughs> Not corroborated by Why? him. <laughs> yeah, at all. Last question. I know I'm, I'm letting you go after that. Why does Asia, uh, and I'm Asia. just going to say Asia, like, no, because you know me. I, <laughs> I love the look I get, like. <laughs> I know, but I do I can't help you, I'm sorry. He gets asked the same freaking questions over and over and over again. Um, I've not been asked these questions ever before. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can honestly say that I've never had these questions before. But you know that I'm an animal rescue nut, and it drives yeah. me insane, me sort of, in the, the Asian cultures, like the treatment of, of, of oh, many dogs. animals, and the gallbladders, and the of the bears, and the dogs, and... I work with this um, uh, organization, Slaughterhouse Survivors, uh, that's helping shut down the uh, Slaughterhouse Survivors. Do yeah, the dog meat market. That really is a suicide note now. And um, <laughs> and you know, you have to get in the head of the people that are doing this. You know, like in Africa when they're poaching elephants. Oh I'm, God! I'm like, how can someone do this? I, I can't. I can't imagine. But it's the same way in America where you go. Where, where you know, people in coastal cities and that are affluent want to go, like, what is it with these middle Americans with their guns? It's like, well, that's classist because you're not, you, you haven't been in these states. You don't know what it's like. Like, you're, you're, it's not like people buy guns to be like, I hope some kid goes and shoots up a school with their gun. Like, these are people that maybe, you know, don't have security systems that are, you know, t you know, 200 yeah. miles from the nearest police station. You're, 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 okay. they're just, just as, just as a thought experiment. The same way. But there's uh, no excuse for cruelty to animals. None. And here's what I'll say. Exactly. But in a lot of times in Africa, 
this is because I have to try to understand why they're doing it in order to dismantle Economics. it. You have to know. So if you're saying if you get me this ivory tusk, right. you can feed your children. Right. Or there was a there was an article in the um, probably New York Times. I'm pretty sure about um, why we don't cry for lions in Africa, and it was about a mo- a mother, and she was saying that in Africa lions are like coyotes, and and your kid can be walking home from school and get attacked by a lion. You know, so if you're if you're telling if if coyotes come after Mona, I'm going to kill the coyote, and I have absolutely no guilt about it, and I feel fine. So if you're saying that my no child, coyote would go after Ramona. Yeah, well, Mona, yeah, Mona would she fuck would, him up. Yeah, real. But what coyotes do? They're so cunning. What they do is they ingratiate themselves. One will, and then fourteen I like know, descend. I know, I know, I know. And, you know, so um, so if you're telling me, oh. And I'm like, why would you kill a lion? That's awful. And because it was, it attacks our our kids on the way home from school. You know, I'm like, okay, got it. It's more of a nuisance. Or you're killing elephants because you need to eat, and you're in this fight or flight mode, and you're like, I can feed my entire family if I kill this elephant. Whatever. Um, I have to get in the brain space of it. So I was trying to get in the brain space of this, the Korean, uh, the the dog meat stuff and they are so far removed from the and we do it with pigs you know like the Korean dog meat festival they look because they value pigs in a different certain cultures value pigs in certain, they look at the way that we eat bacon and they're like how can you come for us about a dog meat festival when you guys eat pigs that are even more intelligent than dogs you know so just the things that we are able to the cognitive dissonance we can you know sleep at night with but point being they were like, well, we don't understand. The person I was talking to that was like the cultural sort of helping me understand, sure. you know, the way you treat your old people is disgusting to them. The way, the way, the idea that you put a, a bear in a cage and take their gallbladder, uh, my brain is like, that is the most disgusting in you. They're like, well, you put your old people in a nursing home it's a, uh-huh. to rot. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's someone. There's someone to help you, and that's like they look down at that. And sure. one of those, uh, the flight that crashed, right? One of them was that um, it was in. Uh, I don't remember what the the flight was that crashed in Asia. That the guy deferred to the elder. The okay. co-pilot deferred because to disrespect an elder is so looked down upon. You would never. So in the when they got the black box, basically mm-hmm. it was like that was I think South Korean. They were in Korean. South Korea, yeah, like. If if it, you never disrespect an elder, you know, I was flying to Hong Kong once and I was with this guy that he did like digital something and he was saying focus groups in doing focus groups in Asia for their products is kind of like pointless because everyone's just going to defer to the oldest person in the room really? for their opinion. Like it's hard to get feedback because they'll be like, so what do you think of this thing? And they'll all just look to the older person and whatever mm-hmm. he says, they'll agree with. Well, I have to move there. <laughs> But just sort of, it was like the, just the disrespect, you know, um, like, is there any, like, historical reasoning for that? Like, I just was curious as someone Historical that, reasoning for what? For why Asia has, respects their elders the way they do and we don't the way we do. Is it like a weather thing, a climate thing? Is it Genghis well, Khan? I mean, it's not Genghis Khan. <laughs> I think America is, you know, a, a young country. Oh, right, right, right. And we're all about the individual, and we've always kind of celebrated people who kind of are rugged and can get things for themselves and are kind of self-reliant. Mm. And we don't have deep roots like they do in France or other countries that have deep cultural roots. So we've always had a history of a youth culture. 
And I think the first yep. the the birth of the first, of our youth culture was really in the 1920s. It even goes further back than that. But you know, the 1920s it was all about you know the the uh, flappers, mm-hmm. et cetera, and people were going kind of crazy. The Great Gatsby. And people started to really revere young people. And then after World War II, it became like capitalism was all about advertising to young people. And we created a youth culture that doesn't really exist in Asia. They have kind of the opposite sort of thing where hmm. elders are very much respected. And you see that when you when you go to Europe still to this day, you know. And the children are, are raised differently. You can kind of see it in the children. The children aren't so bold and kind of bratty as they are here, you know. And I kind of like when I meet uh, kids who are raised differently, who kind of have that slight touch of humility. Um, so, you know, there's something kind of calm, kind of calm spirit, whereas the American kids don't seem to have a center. They're so, all, they're so nervous. They've got all this nervous energy, mm. you know. So I think there's a cultural thing to that. What's last question? Am I question? answering your question? What's the weirdest? I never feel like I'm answering your what's question. What's the we- I never feel like I ask a coherent question. What? Who? What's the I, weirdest country? Weirdest country, not ah. negative, but just what's the weirdest place? Like the place where because you've researched every country, every person, every leader, like the weirdest tradition, the weirdest, and weird is obviously subjective. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've been to every place. Kind of has its its weird customs. You know, I, I was in Moscow for a book tour, and Moscow was one of the strangest places I've ever been to. I thought of, thought of us like on another planet. Like sim- Simulacre 101, yeah. No, it was actually very beautiful. The architecture is so weird. I've never seen architecture it's like like a gingerbread it. Yeah. house. Beautiful stuff. You know, all these onion kind of domes and things. And then the, the cars and the traffic is so different from anything there. They don't have, like, stoplights and they don't have taxis. You just hail any old driver down the street and they, you pay them, you know, and kind of thing. And, and they're, like, prostitutes everywhere. And you never know which one is, you know, when they come up to you. And then they took me to, like, a Siberian sauna, which was a really intense experience. Like, you feel like you've been reborn. They, like, put you in this incredibly claustrophobic sauna room and this guy comes in with a giant palm leaf or something he starts beating you on your back and then he takes you out and he dips you in a barrel then he takes you and puts you in a barrel of cold water and then takes you out and puts you back in the heat and then kind of rubs you down I was like Afterwards, I was like in ecstasy. This was the greatest experience of my life. I felt like I had been reborn. They put you like an intentional trauma. Yeah. So I thought Moscow was like going to another planet, you know. I thought it was pretty exciting. And And then then the Middle East is really weird. Like the relation, the, the patriarchy is still so strong. Super strong. Like this woman who's kind of leading me around. I'm saying, why are you always walking behind me? I'm not used to women walking behind me. Mm-hmm. She said, "Well, that's how you know. That's how we're trained." You know, I thought it was maybe kind of. It's like I'm looking at. She's like, "I'm looking at your butt." <laughs> that's what I told myself. I know I get in trouble all the time for that. They're like, "Women can't drive over here and they can't work." I'm like, "That sounds awesome." Um, <laughs> you say that sounds amazing. Oh, you're, no, you're I, about, if I just say it in conversation, I know. Cancel me. <laughs> um, okay, so I can't. Uh, the you daily find- laws, this is for uh, the people with ADD like me. Um, Did you want me to explain it at yes. all or are we done? Yes. No, explain it. I'll be very brief. Don't or don't. 
Well, basically, um, you know, I have an idea of, of a certain kind of attitude towards life that's very powerful, and it's kind of in all of my, six of my books, and that attitude is being realistic. So you're able to kind of look at yourself and say, this is who I am. You cut through all the bullshit of what your parents told you mm. about what other people tell you, about what the culture tells you mm -hmm. in social media, and you're able to realistically understand your strengths and your weaknesses and what you were meant to accomplish in life. You can also be realistic about the people around you. So you can have that instinct that Whitney talks about. And you can sense this person is toxic. I'm not getting involved with them. So instead of projecting onto everybody around you your wishes, you can actually see through them and see who they are. And then you see the, the world itself and what's going on in the world, the zeitgeist, with a degree of realism. You know what's going on in your particular line of work where politics are headed. With that kind of realistic attitude, able to see through into yourself, mm -hmm. into other people, and into the world at large, it's incredibly powerful. And so this book, I'm taking all of those ideas and I'm kind of condensing them to every day you have kind of a meditation that's going to kind of ground you in this realism that I think is so powerful. It's kind of like a straight shot of... of like, uh, you're, you might not like this, but this is the truth. Let me yeah. save you... 10 years of, of like, let's cut the shit. It's right. like, if I had this when I was 21, I would, like, look so much younger. Um, so I think it's, it like, the idea for me is, like, this is, like, to me, like, 10 years of therapy, 10 years of, like, neuroscience <laughs> studying and history all, like, in one place. And if you want to win at anything in life, whether it's, like, you want to be a florist or you want to be a CEO, it's just, like, I'm, I'm going to give it to you straight. Right. I'm not going to lie to you because I respect you enough to just tell you the truth. Emily right. and I, I tried to have a conversation with her earlier like this, and she thought I was trying to fire her. Because so I cried. I was like, let me give what? it to I So I cried. <laughs> oh. What law of power is crying all the time? That's the, that's the surrender tactic. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's or, my jam. Or play a sucker to catch a sucker. Yes. Sometimes the best <laughs> battle strategy is a masterful retreat. Um, so... It's like cut the shit. I'm gonna. It's it's like he's just not that into you. Like it's um, you know, like when a girl's like, he's not texting me back. Well, maybe he just likes you too much. He doesn't. He's not into you. Yeah. Like let me just give it to you straight. I'm not gonna use kid gloves. This is how to survive in the world and get everything that you want. I'm not happy about it. I'm not biased. This is just how human nature works. This is how psychology works. This is how life works. This is what works for all the winners in the past. Like easily digestible here and if this yeah i wish i had this fucking 20 years ago well you've done pretty well for yourself if you had it 20 years ago maybe things wouldn't have worked out like <laughs> so many people would be dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things happen for a reason and they turned out quite well for you i must say you're the best yeah so so you're gonna come back uh with your sublime book yeah when i'm about 75 years old which you're gonna write on my porch or my deck yeah, yeah. I'm already about one-fifth of the way through. God, that sounds awful. Oh, my God. I don't know how you do it. Um, I end these awkwardly. As you know, I start them awkwardly, and <laughs> the whole thing's awkward, frankly. What are you talking about? Uh, I just say I end the podcast awkwardly. Well, I think you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't ride elephants. <laughs> Thank you.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.